Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Tuesday, October 10th. That's right. You heard me right. October 10th, 2017. The weather is mild. I'm kidding. I want to welcome everyone to tonight's show. Um, we, we've got a great show lined, lined up for you today. Andrew Kerr coming out of the gate. Brock, that's right, Brock Buster. Not Blockbuster. No, I didn't, I didn't turn, I didn't turn. Eric. Error. Create okay. We we uh, are streaming yeah. live on Twitter. We are, we and are. we hey, asked hey folks guys to, on Twitter. to watch on Twitter. There, please watch on Twitter. And what we did is hashtag two terms, one being Brockbuster. So <laughs> so get that ball rolling on Twitter. Hashtag Brockbuster. Brockbuster. Yes. Hey David Brock, we want you to watch this. Mister Brock, please watch this. Or have have one of your friends watch this. But anyway, I remember uh, talking to Mr. Kerr about this issue about a year ago. Knew this was coming. That's right. We knew this was coming. Couldn't say a word. Um, actually, I, I like doing this because my daughter Jackie's over here waiting to piece, uh, put a piece of equipment on the desk, and she's afraid to do it to be on camera. There she goes. There she goes. That's my daughter, Jackie, hmm. by the way. Nuptials, upcoming nuptials, her and Eric the Tech. It was, it's a match made in heaven, of course, this week. And, uh, wanna just say congratulations and such a, so happy that, uh, so happy, uh, Eric the Tech and Jackie. And that means that, um, it truly is a family, family function. I, I want to say hello to my good friend, Pat Campbell, KFAQ, out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. God bless you, my friend. He's got like, um, uh, I think I think pretty much like Noah, he's got like like I don't know two dozen children. Um, ah, he's got a whole bunch. Uh, he's a great guy though. I want to say hello to him. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on Periscope Twitter. Apparently, uh, as we are live, and uh, thanks for tuning into our two shows. Mine at nine a.m., nine to ten a.m. Eastern Time. Glo- um, BTR. Go to go to Blog Talk Radio and Global Star Radio Network. Either one, and uh, not on YouTube. The the two shows. These supplemental programs, Doug Hagman show, 9 to 10 Eastern Time, and of course, Joe and John, 2 to 3 Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio, BTR, and Global Star Radio only. Go to HagmanReport.com and, and you can find them. Uh, today's show is kind of interesting. I'm, I'm interested to hear feedback uh, from me about today's show, and I'm starting to listen to their show today as well. Very interesting. But, hello, Joe. Let's bring on Andrew Kerr. Uh, yeah, because the, Andrew um... Kerr's got something here that He's got a breaking story, something he's been working on for a number of months, uh, upward of eight to ten months now. A year, and, really? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first call. I remember talking with him, Joe, and him laying this all out for me. Okay, now after they got done, uh, after the uh, housekeeping came in and cleaned up my, my head uh, brains off the wall, because, man, I'm going to tell you something. What he laid out was just earth-shaking. And he's going to here to explain it. But go ahead. I'm I'm sorry. TheCitizensAudit.com is Andrew's website. TheCitizensAudit.com, and there's also a piece up on Hagman Report from the Daily Caller 
that was written about Andrew Kerr's complaint today, Brockbuster, is the Media Matters Cheap slurping from a slush fund. Andrew Kerr, it's great to have you back on the show. Hey, Doug. Hey, Joe. Glad to be back on. Hey, it's, gl- it's, it's so gr- so glad to have you on. And may I say congratulations on yeah, your fine absolutely. work. Fine investigative report. Uh, folks, go to, uh, uh, well, obviously visit Andrew Kerr's website, but the Daily Caller has done a, a great job in outlining the the uh, issue. Uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Kerr, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. What in the world did you do? What have you done? Hmm? Yeah, I stumbled I stumbled upon a really deep, big hole about, <laughs> what, nine months ago, and I've just now kind of <laughs> uh, found the end of this whole grasping for air. Um, so nine months ago, I, I set out to answer a, a simple question. Um, how is American Bridge 21st Century Foundation a nonprofit uh, organization that reports to the IRS that shares office space with Media Matters for America pay almost $7 million to zero employees. $7 million in employee, in, in employee um, expenditures, uh, payments, uh, salary, but to zero employees. Um, so what I uncovered uh, was that this nonprofit organization, American Bridge Foundation, um, has a cost-sharing agreement with American Bridge 21st Century Super PAC, um, one of the largest Democratic super PACs um, in the business. Um, they brag about have, uh, supplying over $300 million worth of uh, earned television time, um, all of it benefiting Democratic politicians, um, all of it uh, negative towards, um, or most of it negative towards uh Republican politicians. So this is an incredibly complex scheme, but to sum it up, um, what the math and all the research appears to show is that American Bridge Super PAC, which is required to disclose the identity of its donors, is abusing its cost-sharing agreement with American Bridge Foundation, a nonprofit that reports to the IRS that's not required to disclose the identity of its donors, uh, in an effort to conceal the identity of its donors. So, essentially, money comes into the foundation, the foundation just creates expenditures, and then reimburses those created expenditures to the super PAC. That's what it appears is happening. The, the, the math, the, uh, the trends, the, um, the change of behaviors from 2011, from when these organizations were founded, uh, to 2015 and, and past to 2017, and while I was um, uncovering this scheme, what I had to do was go really, really deep into both uh, nonprofit law and federal election law, uh, two areas that not really, not much of anybody really knows much about. So I had to go really deep into both of them uh, because it, it appears that this arrangement is is set up to, it's identified the 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 gaps in coverage from the IRS and the Federal Election Commission. And they're utilizing that gap to uh, to engage in the scheme. And what's concerning is that if you look at both sets of documents, just at the super PAC's filings on its own and the foundation's filings on its own, it doesn't look like anything's wrong. It's only when you look at them really, really deep and then you compare, and then all of a sudden you start to see, um, you know, some tears uh, right down down the middle. Um, so this is incredibly complicated so if i start talking over you i've but, been but, uh, but i i'll just say this just to the people out there this is complex but what andrew kerr has done just to kind of give you a little bit of a boost here 
is Andrew Kerr has connected some investigative dots in in a way that no one else has, and I mean no one on this planet has, except may I say, except those involved in this scheme, alleged scheme, I have to use that word, um, and, and you did so through expending a lot of shoe leather, and, I'm, and, and folks, Andrew Kerr consulted attorneys, accountants, tax people, the, the best of the best, and I mean, you talk about an investigation, a labor-intensive investigation, this, this young man worked his butt off and to make sure he was, he's 100% accurate. So what he's explaining to you, and I'm going to shut up now, but what he's explaining to you is a very complex monetary, uh, would you call it money, um, what would you, what would you identify it as? Uh, if you, if you were to give like a phrase to it, it's not really money laundering, is it? I prefer to say, um, uh, failing to report political contributions. Okay. Fine. Because the, the money's flowing from the foundation into the super PAC, but, it's flowing in in the form of expense reimbursement. So um, American Bridge, David Brock, they may come out and respond to my, the, um, the Federal Election Commission complaint that I filed today um, and say that, oh, this is a gray area, you know, there's or there's nothing wrong here. But there is something wrong here. If you're reimbursing expenses that never existed or never were occur- incurred in the first place, then those aren't expense reimbursements. Those are contributions. If you contribute money to a political organization – it, your the identity of that donor must it must well if you contribute to a political organization it must be reported but that's not what's happening here it's going into an an expense reimbursement bucket uh, offsets the operating expenditures if you go on the uh, super PACs reports on the federal election commission over 11 million dollars since 2011 through uh, the end of June 2017 but not one dollar that has been counted as a political contribution so that's that's the argument I'm setting out is that I, I don't believe that these expense reimbursements are honest. I think that American Bridge Foundation is incurring some expenses uh, that they need to reimburse the super PAC, but I don't think it adds up to $11 million. The reason why I say that is when I went and looked in all of American Bridge's statements over the years describing uh, their arrangement you know, with their foundation and their, and their super PAC, which, by the way, they're very dodgy. Anytime a reporter asks... Uh, about the arrangement, um, and a lot of times, and I and I have this documented in my in the, my report on my website at the Citizens Audit, where American Bridge just you know blatantly ignored the reporter's request uh, to clarify, you know, hey, uh, in, um, what's what's going on with this cost sharing arrangement? So uh, the math shows that from 2011 to 2015, over 90% of American Bridge Foundation's shared expenditures. Uh, with the super PAC were for uh, shared employees. Um, and I painstakingly um, write that out that uh, uh, established that that pattern um, in, a, in an explainer that I posted on my website. Uh, but once we established that the vast majority of their expense reimbursements are for uh, employees, and then we actually look at the individual expense reimbursements that the foundation is sending over to the super PAC, it looks very strange. At the beginning uh, of this arrangement in 2011 uh, through mid-year, mid-2013, um, the reimbursements looked like honest expense reimbursements for primarily uh, employee um, expenditures. It's, you know, random, like, you know, it, uh, $15,120.15, like, you know, just arbitrary example. Um, and that, and I show that 
you know, the line items of the foundation's expense reimbursement with the super PAC. But then as we enter uh, the latter half of 2013 and then into the, into 2015, uh, the pattern changes to where all of a sudden American Bridge Foundation is reimbursing expenses of exactly $100,000, exactly $50,000, exactly $200,000. Those look like, those look much more like contributions than they do expense reimbursements for, uh, primarily over 90% for employees. How do you incur exactly $100,000 in salary and exactly $50,000 in salary the, the following month? followed by $3,000 in salary, followed by $100,000 in salary. It doesn't make sense. Um, and to cap this off, as we enter 2017, things just get really messy. <laughs> um, American Bridge Foundation, interestingly enough, doesn't begin incurring expenses in 2017 until after uh, David Brock's high-profile $40 million fundraising campaign on the weekend of Trump's inauguration, which should, like, ring some serious warning bells that how come – the foundation didn't ex- incur any expenses, apparent as the records show, from late September 2016 all the way until January 23rd, 2017, three days after this high-profile fundraising campaign. It really lends credibility to my argument that these don't look like honest expense reimbursements. They look like contributions that are just being disguised expense reimbursements. So th- this matters. If you're giving money to a political committee, a super PAC, uh, you still have to follow the rules. Um, it needs to be reported as a contribution, and that's that's what we're arguing here. And okay, and and, and folks, please go to thecitizensaudit.com. Thecitizensaudit.com. Download this report. Download this report in case it disappears. Make a hard copy of it, please. Andrew, continue, sir. Yeah, and um, and by the way, all I, I there are um there are many there are dozens of links uh to. American Bridge reporting uh, to their websites, uh, to the reports that they filed, all the information, all the websites that I've used to come to these conclusions. Uh, don't worry, I've saved them all. They're all archived. Uh, so uh, there's no use in, in trying to take those websites down because I've got them all saved. So, um, uh, and that's part of the reason why I've been so, so quiet these past couple months is that as we've been preparing this complaint, all I'm utilizing is information that's already in the public sphere that could be easily changed. So I kind of hid under a rock, and we got this complaint uh, really, you know, nailed down tight. And then, you know, after I filed it today uh, at the Federal Election Commission, um, you know, it's like the weight's off my shoulder. We were, and I have to say this, Andrew, we we, we kept our mouths shut, uh, mouths shut about this. We were very concerned about your safety. We we and we didn't say a word to anybody. But now, just so people are clear, you have filed a complaint with the FEC, correct? Yes. Okay. The Federal Elections Commission. And the, uh, uh, com- or the uh, defendant in this case, or the, uh, uh, well, uh, I guess you'd call them the defendant. The, the respondents. The respondents, so, okay. Yeah. So a Federal Election co- uh, Commission's complaint uh, isn't like a typical legal document. Pretty much I'm just notifying the, the Federal Election Commission that like, hey, um, you need, you guys need to know about this. Um, I, I request that you uh, conduct an investigation into these matters. So, um, the Federal Election Commission has a, a set, a set of steps that they need to take. So within five days, they need to acknowledge that they received my complaint, you know, that I you know, properly notarized it, um, and that there's, you know, no uh, glaring errors in it. Um, and then 
they'll allow after those five days American Bridge and correct the record, which is also a respondent in the complaint, to you know, give their reasoning why you know uh, Andrew he's uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't need to conduct an investigation. Um, but I believe that the the questions that I'm raising in this complaint, there's there's five counts. I think that they absolutely deserve an investigation. Unfortunately for the Federal Election Commission, we know the solution. If so, American Bridge Foundation told the IRS in 2013 that they kept employee timesheets to track employee expenditures to ensure that they weren't financially supporting the activities of the super PAC. So all the Federal Election Commission needs to do is to inspect each and every single employee timesheet for each and every single employee for each pay period at American Bridge starting in March 2011 through the end of June 2017. Since American Bridge Foundation said that they keep these timesheets, they should be either stuffed in a digital file or they should just be in a, in a file cabinet. It should take all of five minutes for them to take all those timesheets, which they said they keep, and give them to the Federal Election Commission to prove that their expense reimbursements are honest. If they do not do that, or if the Federal Election Commission declines to investigate this, uh, you know, take this complaint seriously and conduct an investigation, then we really need to question whether the Federal Election Commission has any intention of faithfully enforcing the law to all organizations. Um, to, to me, as just a, a citizen journalist, I find it very concerning that for the past nine months, I've been placed in a position to where if I don't say anything, then nobody, nobody learns about this. Um, I'm talking about the cost-sharing relationship between a super PAC and a nonprofit, and the super PAC is the common paymaster for you know all the shared employees. The Federal Election Commission doesn't know; they've never been notified once that American Bridge Super PAC is a common paymaster, that they're sharing all their all or a large portion of their employees with American Bridge Foundation. To me, that's just mind-boggling how the Federal Election Commission doesn't require them the organizations they oversee to disclose that they have any cost-sharing relationships with other organizations. The same thing goes with the with the IRS. Nonprofits actually don't have to tell the IRS that they have a cost, that they are using a common paymaster. Um, and what's more bizarre is that in order to be a common paymaster, you need to be a related organization. Um, and But when you look at American Bridge Foundation and you look at their end-of-year Form 990s that they file with the IRS, and you look at their related organizations, uh, they don't list American Bridge Super PAC as a related organization, but they're actually doing that the right way because the IRS has two different definitions for related organization. One, for everything but common paymaster appears, and then two, related organization tests for common paymasters. So normally, if you have 30% shared officers or directors, that's the test to determine whether you have a related organization, a parent-child relationship. Right. But for a common paymaster, you just have to have 30% shared employees. So American Bridge is the it meets the criteria of related organization for common paymaster, but not for the IRS's other definitions for employee for common paymaster. So the reason why I'm saying this is that when I've been investigating this and, and trying to you know, piece together how this arrangement works and asking the questions, it becomes quite apparent that there are some serious gaps in the way that the IRS and the Federal Election Commission approach uh, election integrity. And there's some, there's just clear gaps in, in their reporting requirements. So, uh, that's, that, that's a really high overview of, uh, of, of how this is happening, how no, how the, um, organizations that are supposed to be conducting oversight have completely missed this. 
they're completely unaware, um, and how the media, um, despite almost a dozen times that I've been able to locate from 2012 through 2016, have kind of seen the, the breadcrumbs, but haven't been able to piece together, uh, really the arrangement that's, that's happening. So, what's I've the, all that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's the potential blowback here? Let's assume, and, and I believe you're 100% accurate that your um, allegations are accurate. What's the blowback? What's the uh, Brock's organization? What happens? Well, um, I'm sure that uh, many of your viewers have have seen the memo that was leaked by the Washington Free Beacon in uh, in January. Um, by David Brock disclosing their, uh, it was a it was a fundraising conference. They were seeking to raise forty million dollars for Media Matters for America, uh, American Bridge, right. uh, Citizens for, for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington D.C. and Share Blue Media. And in that memo, they it's like a brag sheet, you know, saying American Bridge's accomplishments. And American Bridge um, has they they talk about how they feed like 18,000 stories to the media based off their research. Um, uh, Todd Aiken in 2012, um, he's, he was the uh, uh, Republican candidate for senator that uh, had the, he he made the gaffe about a legitimate rape that cost him the election. And that's not the, you know, give any, any of my opinions on, on that statement. I personally found that to be a reprehensible statement. Mm-hmm. But American Bridge, they had trackers that were following Todd Aiken's uh, every move, and they talk about they they brag about how Todd Aiken made that comment, and then American Bridge took that clip, um, and then you know pretty much dispersed that to the to the media, um, and it was it went viral uh, you know within moments. I mean that's the impact that American Bridge has. Um, American Bridge also talks about how they provided opposition research directly to um, political campaigns in addition to a wide swath of. Other uh, nonprofits, such as Emily List and uh, Planned Parenthood, I believe, is listed in the um, in that memoir as well. So every every elected Democrat has indirectly benefited from American Bridges' research. And so, if you know, given all this talk about election integrity, ever since Trump got elected with uh, with Russia, and to be honest, I I, I support investigations. Let's, you know, the the truth doesn't doesn't fear being exposed. So you know, I'm, I'm all for trying to get to the bottom of that and answering everybody's questions. But if it turns out that American Bridge is, break, is uh, breaking federal election law, uh, uh, not following disclosure rules, will Democrats continue to uh, to accept help from American Bridge 21st century? They plan to be active in every single 2018, uh, every single competitive Senate race in 2018, as per that memo. Yeah. Um, their stated goal is to impeach President Trump, make him a one-term, uh, or make him a one-term president in 2020. You know, those are. Those types of goals are fine for super PACs, but if they're breaking the rules, will Democratic politicians still accept their help? I'd hope that they that they wouldn't, that they would distance themselves from from American Bridge. Um, I, and I hope that the Federal Election Commission takes my complaint seriously. Um, everybody that I talked to, you, you, know, you said that I've been talking to lawyers and and uh, you know, tax experts. That the the conclusion after all those discussions is the same. It says, wow, that these questions that you're that you're asking really do deserve to be to be answered. So, uh, Andrew, we only got about um, two minutes left. If that, I want to ask you the the FVC. What you say if they review your complaint? Isn't the way that you uh, set it up and, and filed it? Don't they have to address it, or can they look at it and say there's nothing? Just just dismiss it out of hand with some excuse. 
Yes, they have to um, accept, you know, within five days, accept the complaint and then give the respondents 15 days to to respond. But then after that, the commissioners um, will need to hold a vote. And so there's six commissioners, or there should be six commissioners, and all the rules state that you need to have four out of six commissioners give a thumbs up of approval to conduct an investigation. However, now there's only five commissioners. There's an empty seat. Um, based off my understanding, I, I still think that we're going to need to get four out of the five active commissioners to accept. Um, you know, to, uh, there are three Republican commissioners, one Democratic, and one independent commissioner. Uh, their information is available on the Federal Elections website, uh, as is their email. I'm sure that they would uh, love to um, to receive some emails uh, from concerned citizens such as myself that they should take this complaint seriously. Absolutely. Let's do that. We're, we're going to actually, we're stretching this by a couple of minutes. We're going to forego the network break to keep you on a couple of minutes more. Uh, so, so you're, okay. Uh, people should, um, email the FEC, right? Uh, on your the behalf. Commissioners. The commissioners on your behalf. Well, I mean, their, their email is, is out there on their, on their website. So, okay. um, I mean, it, for me, I just, I, I think that um you know I'm I'm really gung ho on on the the power of you know the individual um being able to to influence their government that's what I've been seeking to to you know prove by example and you know conducting this research and putting out these reports just you know as you know one person the the difference that somebody can potentially make so but now it's it's kind of all hands on on deck I've filed the complaint um, the facts are all laid out. They they speak for themselves, and that we're beholden to to the commissioners of the Federal Election Commission that are notoriously deadlocked, that you know frequently just you know aren't able to come to decisions uh, or you know enforce the law that they're supposed supposed to enforce. So I hope to drum up enough support um, for this for this effort um, to. Uh, you know, essentially you know, indirectly force the hands of the commissioners to say that, hey, either you take this complaint seriously or large swaths of the American public are going to, you know, really have concerns that you are serious about properly enforcing the law. Um, I mean, look at the, what the IRS with the lowest learner, um, right. a scandal. I don't think that's good for the, for the country that large portions of the population think that, you know, the, the law is only properly enforced for, you know, conservatives versus, versus liberals. And honestly, it's it's not about your intentions. It's how it's perceived. And that's how large portions of the American public are perceiving their government. It's up to the government to change the way that they uh, conduct their business and to change our minds to prove to us that, uh, yes, we do take these this seriously, uh, regardless of, you know, the, the partisan implications. So I really do hope that the Federal Election Commission doesn't just sweep this under, under the rug. Um, and let me just touch up on how some how blatant some of the allegations are. So this one is related to correct the record that uh, some may remember during the election um, was you know funding a um, you know pro Hillary trolls on the internet. Right. Well, a WikiLeaks email from late 2015 revealed that correct the record said that they sent 400,000 emails to another super PAC's uh, email list. That super PAC was named uh, Ready PAC or Ready for Hillary. Um, from earlier in 2015. However, looking at Correct the Record's uh, disbursements, all of them uh, from 2015 through 2016, they never made any sort of payments towards uh, ReadyPack for that email list, let alone anything else. 
Um, so why does that matter? Well, you can't just give <laughs> a valuable email list to a super PAC. That either has to be paid for or rented, or it needs to be recorded as an in-kind contribution. But Correct the Record did neither. Um, I mean, that's a very blatant um, violation, it appears. Um, and if the Federal Election Commission looks at that and says, hmm, super PAC used an email list that they did not rent or purchase, um, we're not going to look at that. That, that should, like... That should raise some serious concerns um, if they, you know, really have what it takes to uh, to enforce the law. Well, all, all all we can say is, in the final sixty seconds that we have you, you just took a very sharp stick and poked a very big bear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, Andrew Kerr is is the man. His investigative documents are available at his website, thecitizensaudit.com. Read about it as well uh, at the um, Daily Caller, but the citizensaudit.com is where you can download the report. And Andrew, uh, you're almost a year of your life working on this, and I know you've done such a great investigative job. I just, uh, you know, the the people of America owe you a debt of gratitude, and we thank our listeners too for their support of your efforts as well, giving them a, a nod, a hat tip as well, because it wasn't uh, it wasn't cheap, it wasn't easy. And uh, now the test comes, right? Yeah, and and yeah, I put down a lot of money myself, but I'd yes, like to thank your your listeners for for their support as well. I came on the show in uh, in June, I believe, and and the support was great. Um, so well, thank you. And, and, and you know, yeah, and and I know there's a lot of out of pocket expenses on your behalf. I know you did a lot of traveling on this. You consulted a lot of experts, and mm-hmm. they're not cheap. And you did a great job. So you know, let's keep supporting Andrew Kerr because he is making a difference. And we'll keep watching the Citizens Audit for the updates, and you keep in touch with us, Andrew, and we'll uh, put you on the show as much as you need to to cover the updates as they continue. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great job, sir. Thanks, Andrew. You're the man. Folks, uh, we, we, we uh, then thank you, Global Star Radio Network. Thank you, Todd, there. I just want to say this. It's uh, yeah. it, it's great to see, um, you know, this finally get completed and filed. Uh, as you said at the beginning of the interview, this is something that uh, Andrew's been working on for for up to ten months, yeah. and has put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this. And um, it's just been fascinating now to see it, the the finished product, and what is going to uh, come of that, and the potential for uh, Andrew to continue to do this kind of work uh, as a journalist. Um, pretty excited about that. So that's great. You know, you know, Joe and. It's difficult to to explain all of the intricacies in in a thirty minute segment, um, and because it's and it's it's almost it almost seems like does it really matter? It almost sounds like this bookkeeping uh, shuck and jive kind of thing. Oh yeah, I know, and it you does know? matter because it, yeah, so right. more than often than not, these people skate on the corruption, on yep. the scandals. Yep. And here we have uh, available documentation that they have to provide. Uh, and rules and guidelines that they have to stay in are being broken systematically uh, by these same people who get away with these things left and right. And if this is the way that they're held accountable, if Media Matters is held accountable, if they lose their tax-exempt status, well, then that's, you know, that's a, a win. That's one in the win column for the alternative media. And even if they don't lose it, even if just just the, the fact that people came together, donated, Helped Andrew. Andrew put the put in the legwork, did this huge investigation, sought the experts, and brought it forward. That's a win in itself, just as well. But uh, we want to see this thing through. And I remember the very first conversation we had about this, and he was explaining this to me. 
And the more we got into it, the more I said, look, you need a forensic accountant, and, and he got one. And then another conversation, look, you need an attorney. He got one. And then another conversation, I said, you need more attorneys, and he got them. Um, and, you know, it's just the deeper that he went into this. Um, and then finally, I said, you need some bodyguards, man. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because the um, the findings on this. Are, are just beyond, I mean, folks go to the citizensaudit.com or read about this in the Daily Caller. This is just an incredible story. David Brock, of course, the boyfriend of, former boyfriend slash lover slash uh, whatever of uh, James Elephantis, um, and, and head of Media Matters for America, uh, American, uh, a bridge 21st Century, and of course the American Bridge 21st Century Foundation. Super PAC, uh, sharing its name, American British 21st Century. All of this at the epicenter of a financial scandal, alleged scandal. And of course, uh, David Brock, paging David Brock. Andrew Kerr did a fantastic job. Absolutely. And, yeah. Moving forward, we have with us Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer. He's been on site in Texas, uh, spearheading Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. And even though all this stuff's been going on in the news, the hurricane recovery and relief efforts continue and are ongoing. And Coach Dave has been down there putting in the hours, uh, volunteering, uh, coordinating with a bunch of, of other people in order to bring food and supplies and whatnot all down to the people who are still struggling. And it's not just in Texas. There's still an ongoing uh, big relief effort in Puerto Rico. There are, uh, you know, the wildfires in California. We have a lot of stuff going on, but uh, Coach Dave has been down here. He's been down here for weeks, and he's been making a, a huge impact on some of the problems that are ongoing down there. Coach Dave, it's great to have you back on the show. Hey, you guys quit pounding back there. I think I did that the last time. <laughs> Good night, Joe. Good night, Joe. I had to do that again. Hey, listen, man, uh, what a great guest. You, you guys are on top of everything, man, and I just want to tell you I'm I'm honored to be with you. I don't know if you guys can see my face here, Joe. I'm going to try to do a little bit of flip. I'm going to show you something here. This okay. is seven weeks, fellas. What did it's you been, do? It's been seven weeks, and this is what you still see here on the streets of Port Arthur. Wow. This is this is where we are. Seven weeks, brothers. And you can walk up and down streets. Uh, yeah, I don't care which one. You walk up and down them, and this is what you see. This is what's left of people's lives. And uh, we made the commitment, Doug and Joe, thanks to you guys and a lot of other people, we gave, we made the commitment that we were going to see this thing through. And we've kept people on the ground down here now going on seven weeks. we got another crew coming in uh, next weekend. we got a crew coming in after that. Uh, brothers, uh, you, you know, listen, guys, a lot of stuff, a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. Let me tell you this. we got to keep our eye on the ball. And we, we live in, I, I'm thinking about five or six weeks ago, Doug, Everybody was worried about uh, that hurricane. What was that name? Irma, whatever that Irma. was. That was the big news. Remember that Harvey? I'm sorry, I'm walking here on using my cell phone. We had Harvey, then we worried about Irma. And we are just moving. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. We're moving from one crisis to another in America. And one of the things that's happening to us is we, become, we are becoming desensitized to everything that's going on. Now, listen, guys. I've been watching Las Vegas. What's going on in Las Vegas? Something crazy going on in Las Vegas, all right? But let's not take our eye off the ball because the job of the enemy, which I would call the deep state, is to do what? Brother, they want, they're running bootlegs. We have got to keep our eye on the ball and understand exactly what it is that's going on. 
So we're down here, and we're continuing to do what we said we were going to do seven weeks ago. I know about the fires going on in, in San Francisco. I know I know about what happened in Las Vegas. I know about earthquakes that are going on everywhere. Hey, this is that, man. We can't be we can't be surprised. But here's what we have to do. We cannot get distracted and move from one crisis to another. And what we need to get people to understand is wherever you are, whatever you're doing, try to make a difference right where you are. We do, we stuck a flag in the, in the ground down here in Port Arthur and down in Rockport. And we're just following through on many of your listeners, Doug, who, who gave us uh, uh, gave us donations to come down here and serve these people. So we're down here. This is my third trip. This is my first trip to Port Arthur. Let me let me flip this thing around. Show you what we got going on here right now. We're we're doing a feeding out here. We've been we're, we're just wrapping up another another feed. I don't want to talk about this. I'm I'm going to let you. I want to introduce you to a hero here in a second. And I want you to understand that one person can in fact make a difference. We're, let me see we're grilling hamburgers over here. We've got a lot of people and it's it's winding down. Hey Chris, come on over here a second. Hey, I'm uh, I'm gonna Doug, I want to do an interview here if I can. Just stay right there a second, Chris. You got the floor, Doug, Coach. Okay, Doug, you look I want you I want you guys, folks, I want you to look at this guy right here. His name is Chris Keys. When I came down, he's been down here on the ground for six weeks. When I came down here yesterday, I said, uh, hey Chris, man, you're a hero. And he said, No, no, I'm not a hero. And you know what, Doug? Heroes, somebody doesn't think they are. And that's Chris Keys. Let me tell you this story, what he did. The night that the, the hurricane hit we down here in Houston, we decided we were going to come down here. I got a hold of a buddy named Rusty Thomas, Operation Save America. And Rusty said, man, you got to call Chris Keys. He lives down there in Houston. He can probably make some connections for you. So I called Chris. <laughs> Chris said, Coach, you're not going to believe this. I'm getting in my truck, and I'm heading out in a boat. I'm going to go out and rescue people. Now, let me let me back up a second, Doug, Joe. Chris Key, standing before you right now, on Mother's Day weekend, was arrested outside the abortion clinic in Louisville, Kentucky, trying to rescue babies. This guy is a rescuer. It is what his life is all about. And he has dug in down here for six weeks, feeding these people, helping organize a rehabilitation of homes. This, this unbelievable story. But here's what I want you to hear, Doug. Hey, Chris. Welcome here, brother. Listen, hey, Chris, I want you to tell them about that harrowing first night when all of a sudden you said, you know, I'm going to get me a truck and I'm going to get me a boat and I'm going to go rescue people. Uh, I guess the, um, well, I had, I had a call from a particular guy and it was the first time I went to get somebody and, and, and there weren't really boats going in yet. The water was still, people kind of drive around, but even my truck was getting where I had to jump up on islands. He's got a big truck. And kind of get up on the islands in order to make it not uh, get into the intake. So um, I got this guy this guy out. His name was Mike. I, I got back to our house. I realized, okay, we're going to need a boat because my truck's going to my truck's gonna, gonna, uh, take in water and get shut down. And uh, uh, and also we realized that it wasn't it wasn't changing. We, we had missed the wind to some degree, but the water was just rising really fast. So anyway, um, yeah, some of us were, were praying. I moved my stuff to my second story of my apartment, and uh, we thought the bottom might flood. But, uh, uh, yeah, I got another young guy. He, I said, get a boat. And he actually grabbed it on the way down to meet me. We got together, and we were taking calls in Houston at first. And, and doing that, getting people, and did, did a bunch of rescues here in Houston. And then we realized that there are a lot of guys with boats here, but stuff's swinging around to Port Arthur in, in these areas. And that's, then, a, that's 90 miles, Doug. Port Arthur's 90 miles south of Houston. 
Now I'm going to speed Chris up yeah, just because yeah, yeah, yeah. he, he's just a humble guy. So he they got they got Doug. They got word that somebody down in somebody down in Port Arthur. They didn't know it was Port Arthur. They got an address of somebody that they needed to help go rescue. And Chris says, "Well, I'll go get them. I'll go get them." And they couldn't find where they were. And they said, "Well, that's Port Arthur. That's 90 miles." And Chris said, "I don't care. I told them I was going to come and get them." And Chris. Tell them about that ride coming down through the water with that. Was yeah, like. yeah. Well, and, and the gal that w- when her phone got shut off, we, her, we couldn't reach her anymore. And the last thing we said was, "We're coming to get you." So we were debating whether or not this was good to do that or not. But anyway, we said we have to go because that was the last thing she heard that we're coming to get her. So um, she said the water was coming up above. Yeah, what she said, I got water coming to my chest. My kids are up on the washing machine, and we called the police. Obviously, or we tried to get people locally to go get her. We couldn't get anybody to, so we, we got to go. So, um, we went, but every place we went, roadblock after roadblock, not even National Guard was going yet. Doug, they had road close signs, and Chris would get out of his truck, move the road close sign, and continue on down a road completely covered with water. Yeah, it took but, him five hours to go those yeah. 90 miles. And we would put the signs back because we didn't want any people in cars and stuff to get sucked, but we kept yeah, going around and around and around. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, and there were times that we had to get out and, and, and get guys out and actually stand on the water and look for the lines on the road because you couldn't see buried. You didn't know if you were going to go off into a ditch or not. You saw cars it, in it, the water like, beside you. It was like riding, driving through a lake is what it looked like. So, um, but when we got down there, we worked our way to this gal's house, finally, finally, finally got to the house. And, um, and she had been this particular gal by the time we got there, walking in her house in water. Somebody got her, but when we got there, there were all kinds of people just standing in their front lawn, old guys sitting out there in their shorts, and nobody looking for somebody to get them. So we just started getting people. This was done at night, by the way, Doug. We didn't say that. He drove down at night. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't know an hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes thing turned into five hours just to get there. He called me at 4 in the morning, Doug, on his way down there and says, Coach, this is really harrowing, man. I need some prayer. I'm re- this is really treacherous. And he went down in there. I'm, I'm moving the story yeah, yeah, ahead yeah. because I want to talk yeah, about yeah. what we're doing here. These guys rescued about 100 people, uh, Joe. And I want uh, your listeners to know that the money that they sent to us, we put gas in the in the tank. We yeah. got, got, got those guys down here. Yeah. Now, you think that would be enough, wouldn't you? you think that would be enough. Chris got arrested on Mother's Day weekend for rescuing babies. He get, drives down through this treacherous weather. And nobody else will go down to Port Arthur. He rescues a hundred people, and no, so you think he would go back home and go to the Bahamas and rest, wouldn't you? No, he got his his son and his daughter, and they've come down here, and they've been down here now for six consecutive weeks. They don't live here, Doug. They don't live here, but they've come down here to to try to help these people down here. Yeah, and there have been some other. We've had a lot of people come in and out through this time too, and and coach that we've been just keeping as long as we have something to work with. We've been doing this by and food, buying specific things for specific people here. One of the ladies we're bringing a hamburger to tonight is a lady that was sleeping in her car for 11 days after the flood. She slept in her car. Um, and then uh, we also got her an AC because her AC didn't work. Let, let me stop a minute. Yeah, Doug, yeah. listen to this story. Her house was flooded. She's 80 years old. Her house was flooded. And Chris caught, caught up to her and says, well, where are you sleeping, ma'am? She says, well, I'm sleeping in my car. But her car had been underwater. So the car seat was totally soaked. And at night, she would get a blanket, and she'd put the blanket over that car seat, and she would sleep in it and get up in the morning, and the blanket would be soaked. And she would lay the blanket on the top of her car and let it dry out. And she did that for 11 nights. And now Chris Keyes has been down there rehabilitating her house, taking all the drywall out and making it 
habitable. There's great stuff going on, brother. There's a lot of there's a lot of heroes. Now, Chris, lot, Chris is we got a lot going on behind the yeah, scenes, yeah, right. but listen, it is it is important. But hey, Chris, you're down here sharing the gospel. You're not just cooking hamburgers. No, we don't even. People don't. You can see. We don't. We try. Everybody that comes through gets a track or a Bible. We've got a, we've been at a lot of Bibles, but we want to, we put them in their hands. We don't want to be where they're just door to door and they're just going to trash them. And we have pictures of people's Bibles that already that their own Bibles are full of mold sitting out in piles um, because the bookshelves just pop up and fall right over in the, when the waters came up. So we, it's a very big deal to talk about this this rescue that we did or participated in, but also the greatest rescue of all when Christ rescued us really from ourselves Amen. and from our own sins. Well, so, so do you get that picture, man, deal. talking about being rescued out of a boat, but he comes to us, no, the real rescue is to be rescued from your sins by Christ. And, and uh, Doug, Joe, it's just it's just unbelievable the work that's going on down here. Now, uh, Chris, I'm going to move on. Yeah, bless yeah. you. Bless Amen. Chris. Chris right, is a hero, you, man. Hey, Doug, uh, Joe, I want Chris, to you're a hero. I just want to say, Chris, you are an absolute Chris, hero. You're a hero, man. He said, it, I, and, but he won't let you say that he is, right? Well, he didn't. He he just won't say it. But he's still down here, Doug. While while, while everybody else has moved on to Las Vegas and everybody's moved on to, uh, Chris is being a faith. The Bible says to commit to faithful men, and that's Chris Keys is a, is a faithful and, and, man. Coach, th- this you are exemplifying what Christians. Uh, true Christians should be doing and are doing in your case. And God bless you. Keep going, sir. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Doug, I'm, I'm going to grab this sweetheart right here, ma'am. You are you're live and on there. What's your what's your name? Joanne Wheeler. Hey, Joanne, tell us your story a little bit about what what has happened down here and how you survived. What's going? It's on. not here. We're we're on the other side of you, uh on the other side of Beaumont, Sour Lake. Okay. Uh, we had 61 inches of rain. And uh, I have a picture. I can show you a picture of how it looked. And but you don't have to because we, I mean, we can't even imagine. Water is water. There. Okay, Doug and Joe, I don't know if you can see that picture of it. Yeah. But how have you survived it? How, what's well, going on, Joanne? A lot of prayer. A lot of, a lot of prayer. And we uh, was taken out in a boat. Uh, four roads were closed. Nobody could come in or out. And so uh, the mayor of Sarah Lake told us that no one was coming to help us. That So we got all of our food. Everybody, the townspeople that were staying in the shelter got all their stuff together. And we shared it in the shelter. Isn't that something? Hey, folks, don't, don't believe this idea that we're a divided nation. The media wants us to believe that. But people join together down here. To well, they couldn't get in because the roads were closed. We're all, blo- we're all blocked all, off. Yeah, water up on all roads. And there's four ways in, four ways up, the same four way out. So about a week and a half later, a helicopter, uh, Army helicopter came in with supplies for us. Week and a half. About a week and a half. Uh-huh. But us townspeople that lived in the shelter, we all came together Amen, as huh? family. And I had water, another person had canned goods, and we had, we cooked at the center and all. We're resilient people, Doug and Joe. Resilient people. Doug, bless you, Joanne. Thanks. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah, right. right okay, we'll get it here in a second. Here's Jared's oh. come all the way from Keith, come down here to help us as well. What's, what's been your experience, Jared? Awesome. Well, bad. There's still a lot of trash, you know. I mean, pretty crazy almost two months. But um, it's great to be able to help these people and point them in the right direction. That's right. Share the gospel with them. Now, Doug, Joe, if you don't mind me putting a shameless plug in here, we're going to be down here for longer, Doug. And you know what we need? We need money. Sure, send us money. But you know what we need more than money, Doug? 
We need people. We need people. We're looking for we're looking for guys who's if somebody would just contact me at coachdavelive.com, just come contact me. Say, Coach, listen, I can come next weekend. I can come the following. I can come the first weekend of, of November. We need people who can come down. What we're doing, Joe, Doug, we're we're bringing into into Port Arthur uh, construction guys, guys who know what they are doing. But we need grunts. You know what I'm saying? We need grunts when when we go in. They begin to put the new drywall in. Guys to carry the drywall in. The guys to do all that kind of stuff. And we have the experts down here who know how to re, uh, re repair some of these homes. But we need helpers. We need helpers. We'll take we'll take care of your food when you're down here. We'll give you a place to stay. We'll help with your traveling expenses. So I just put that appeal out there to more and more. This is folks again. This is an opportunity to make the church great again. And we have volunteers that are here helping us. We fed probably three, four hundred tonight. We'll feed that, feed that many more tomorrow. We'll be repairing homes with the crew we have down here. We have 20 uh, college students from Kentucky Mountain Bible College coming in next weekend, not this weekend, the next weekend. Then we got five guys who are, we're flying in from different parts of the country to come in and do the repairs. Doug, we need bodies. We need some people who say, listen, Coach, I don't know what I can do. But I'm willing to help. We need women to come down and do the cooking for us. There's still a lot of stuff to be done. Most people have moved on to Las Vegas. They've moved on to earthquakes. They've moved on to fires in San Francisco. Brother, we have unfinished work here in uh, Port Arthur, Texas, that we've committed to do. Okay, uh, Coach, to be clear, anyone who can help, any able-bodied man or woman, contact you how? Uh, Just go to coach, uh, coachdavelive.com, Coach Dave, or I can give a phone number if they want to also, Doug. Okay. Uh, it's coach, coachdavelive.com. My phone number is 740-323-0871. 740-323-0871. And we've had people who now have said to us, listen, Coach, I will pick up the tab to fly some people in. So if you have a specific skill and you'd like to come down and help us, we can help it so that you didn't have don't like it's 20 hours for me. We've had guys drive 26 hours to come and help, and uh, luckily somebody stepped forward and said, "I'll buy some I'll buy some ticks to fly some of those guys down there." So if that's you out there and you'd like to come for a weekend, you get a hold of me as soon as you can so we can get you set up and get you down. There. And and I'll 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 just say this: the Hagman report will. Uh, we'll work out the details if if you're an able-bodied man out there and you can spend at least a week. Uh, we will. A week, even a weekend, Doug. Or a weekend. Fly in on a Friday okay. and fly out on a Monday. That would that would be just that would be just as great as well. The Hagman report will guarantee your transportation uh, anywhere in the continental from the anywhere in the continental United States. Okay, um, that's the best we can do. And, and yeah, I, Doug, we, we appreciate it. Listen, folks, hear, hear me, folks. Please, please hear, hear my heart here. The church has got to get ready. Yes. We, we, we can't run around from crisis to crisis to crisis. And what, what the Lord is showing us, I believe, when you look at the hearts of the people down here, that little Joanne we just talked to, these folks lost everything, Doug. They, they, they are, they're asking questions. You know, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. What's going on? It's an opportunity for us to come down and say, listen, man, hate to tell you this, but the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and it's time for you to get right with the Lord. That's the message that we bring when we come. Yeah, we put a hamburger in their belly. Yeah, we tear out their drywall. We do all that stuff. But these people are open. They've lost everything. And we want them to know that the one thing that they cannot afford to, to lose is their relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, Rahm Emanuel and all those guys, hey, Doug, 
it's unbelievable how much the other side, <laughs> how much the other side is in control. We see that great, that great interview that you just did, all the stuff that's gone on, and nobody will do anything about it. There's no referee that will flow, throw a flag, no judge that will fight. Hey, fellas, guys, girls, we have got to begin to stand up and fight and make a difference right where we live. Quit chasing tragedies. Quit chasing disasters. Get prepared right where you are. Get yourself a downline of people right in your local area that if the crap hits the fan right where you live, you guys are going to be ready to rise up and help, help your community survive. That's, that's the message that I see, Joe. Doug, I can't do anything about what went on in Las Vegas. I think it stinks to high heaven, but I can't do anything about that. But I can cook a hamburger right down here. I can dry out, tear out some drywall right down here in Port Arthur, and I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying people down here. To me, that's what we got to keep our eye on the ball. And that's the most well said. That's it. We can't do a damn thing about Las Vegas. We can't do a thing about other things, but we can help. And, Joe, you were going to say something, I know. And I didn't yeah, interrupt. Coach, I just wanted to ask you, how long do you anticipate the recovery efforts going to last down there? Uh, uh, about about 20 years. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> honest, about 20 years. But we're committed, uh, Doug and Joe. If we can get people to come and help us, we're committed through Thanksgiving. In fact, okay. we were talking just yesterday about coming down and doing a real nice Thanksgiving feed down here. But I don't, you know, sometimes I run my coverage. You know what I'm saying? I'll kick my coverage. That would be my my plan is to try to stay down there at least through Thanksgiving. And uh, hey, Doug, there, we can never do enough, brother. I'm just telling you. You walk up and down these streets. You, it's it's eight weeks, seven weeks, and the crap is still out in front of their front yard. And uh, some of them have got back in their homes. But when like we're cooking them here tonight, they come up and say, "Oh, thank you. I still don't have a stove. I still don't have a refrigerator." These people lost everything, and they don't have the finances to run. So their lives lives are going on. But uh, not to the degree, degree that they would. So we're doing all we can to try to try to give them a little bit of hope. All Coach, right. Uh, do you know uh, out of the people who are rebuilding, staying, if there are uh, a lot of people leaving or moving from the area because of what happened? Uh, Joe, what a great question. I had a I had a lady say to me, I went to Walmart today to pick up a bunch of supplies. And you know what the lady said to me? She says, I've never seen anything like this. These people down here lose everything, and they will not leave. And I'm thinking, man, is that ever the American spirit? They may have a, they may have a blown up home, but by golly, it's their home. And if they have to sleep in their car and they have to sleep in a tent, they're going to do it, and they are committed that they are they are going to to rebuild. And you know, it's down here in the southern part of Texas. Hey, it's a diverse community. I hate to use that word. There are Vietnamese down here. There are Hispanics down here. I ran into a Hispanic woman yesterday who has lived here 44 years. She's not some. She wasn't some. Uh, uh, border jumper. We all think that about Hispanics. There, some these people down here have been in this community a long time, and they're family oriented. They love their families. They they, they stay together. And, and uh, brother, it just it breaks our heart to see what's going on down here and how they're struggling so hard to stay alive while the rest of us move on to other things. I walked in Walmart today, Doug. I was looking for some charcoal, and you know what the lady told me? She says, I don't know if we have any charcoal. We moved it out because we got Christmas decorations coming. Oh. That's what she told me, brother. That's America, isn't it, buddy? That's, That's America, indeed. Coach, yep. uh, we, we tweet this out to, to, to Donald Trump, to, you know, at, at real Donald Trump. Tweet this out everywhere you can. But, Coach, uh, you are a true American hero. You 
and and yeah. accept that. As well Chris, as huh? there's real, there's real heroes. Chris, well, Chris laid his life on the line, brother. He he got in that boat. He, I mean, it's dangerous. Nobody would come down there. Man, nobody was going to Port Arthur, and he went to Port Arthur, and has been here six weeks ever since. Well, people, people still rolling in. See, they're still getting out of their cars, still rolling in, getting a hamburger. Well, God, well, God bless you, man. And we we have your back, Coach. Thank you. We're at the end of our segment. All right, Bob Joe. God bless you guys. Thank you for having me on. God bless you. Keep up Man. the great make, work. Let's make the church great again. Let's make the church great again. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Coach Dave is our guest. And, uh, folks, if you can help him out, donate. Please. Uh, time. As my dad said, Hagman Report will pay for the, the airfare to get well, you down there if you can volunteer time. Right. For what? One, two yeah, people? Well, we, we can cover the expense of one, maybe two people. Okay. We're going to do what we can. But let's get bodies down there. Um, and to the progressives out there who have a heart, put down your soy latte, okay, and get down there and uh, and then learn some scripture as well as help people out. Remember, right back HagmanReport.com. That's our website. God bless Coach Dave, CoachDaveLive.com, and uh, I want to thank John for hooking hooking us up. And man, what what a great story! This is what Christians do. Get right back. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about eight ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof, and it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. of the Hagman Report here in Hour 2. We are going to be joined by Field McConnell. Now, he was a guest on our show a a while back, and we had a lot of listener response to him coming on, and many people wanted him to come back, so we have done just that, and he will be with us here shortly. He is the founding editor-in-chief of Able Danger and the YouTube channel titled Able Danger, and not sure what what he's going to want to get into tonight. Uh, Primarily, he talks about 9-11, but we're going to uh, see where he wants to go. And I know we, we didn't get all the information out during the last interview we did, so we might pick up right where we left off. We might go in a new direction. It will be interesting to see what happens and where we go from here. Um, if you want to hit some... Can, can, can I just put a plea out there? Uh, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, Coach Dave Live, please, if you're able to help him, go to CoachDaveLive.com. That's, and, you know, he needs... Bodies. He needs able-bodied men and women as much as he needs uh, the, the monetary donations and support. He's doing a fantastic job. And anyone who could watch that video without being emotional, uh, I mean, he's doing what Christians do. And I would urge everyone to take what you, what you saw on Twitter. As a matter of fact, uh, Jackie will segment that, that. She'll segment that out. And send that to people. Send that to your pastor. Send that to the President of the United States. Send that to Sean Hannity. Send that to everyone you know. Let people know what Christians are doing for people in this country in need. Because, you know, we lead by example, don't we? What a tremendous, what a tremendous man. What a tremendous initiative. He could be out, you know, hitting 18 holes if he wanted to. But he's not. He's down there pounding nails and feeding the hungry and, and giving out uh, Bibles and, and scripture references and, and nourishing the, the mind, the body, the soul of, of, of the victims of, of the tragedies that have befallen us. And I, I think it's fantastic. I really do. So anyone who could anyone who could watch that and not get choked up, either from grief or from or, or just from the, the Christian can-do spirit. Is you know it's just amazing, and of course, Coach Dave Dobmar, he's the guy for the job. Let other people know, and and thank him too, and we all should thank him, and everyone down there, Chris too, and and all the people down there. What an amazing team effort! Yeah, we we may have our differences, America that is, and Americans, but look at that team effort. That's that's amazing, and of course. Getting back to the first segment and recur, I would urge everyone to to really support his investigative efforts. We are hitting them one after another after another. 
We got it. We, we, we got it. We got some people on the run, don't we? We do. Andrew Kerr, thank you. We got some people on the run. And by the way, tune in to the Doug Hagman radio show, 9 to 10, on BTR and Global Star. Do me a favor. Follow the program on BTR. And my son over here and John, 2 to 3, the Daily Show. Follow them on BTR. And then bookmark Global Star. But tune in to the radio shows. Five hours of programming per day. Please help us out. Help us spread the word. I really appreciate that. John, I'm going to kick it to you. All right. We have our guest with us, uh, Mr. Field McConnell. Again, he's a returning guest to the show. He is the founding, founder and editor in chief of Able Danger and the YouTube channel, uh, titled Able Danger as well. Uh, Mr. McConnell, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Well, thank you very much for inviting me back. It's my pleasure. We, well, um, it's our pleasure. Yeah, it is. We got a great response last time you were on from our listening audience. Many wanted to have you back on, and uh, here you are. We were talking about the uh, 9-11 and what you've uncovered in your investigations on 9-11 the last time you were on. Where do you want to go today? I'll go anywhere you want. We can go to uh, South Texas. We can go to Puerto Rico. We can go to Las Vegas. Well, we can go, uh, go ahead. Let, let's go right to the belly of the beast in this case. Uh, let, let's talk about Las Vegas because we've been giving that a lot of coverage, as, as of course, everyone is. And, and we know that the official story is, is, is not being presented properly. Now, we know, of course, that the initial reports are always wrong, and I can accept that. I've been involved in enough uh, incidents where it, the, the first reports they're 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 incorrect and and not maliciously incorrect initially, but now after a while they get spun and respun and laundered and you know now all of a sudden narratives are developing and stories are changing and what in the world? Let me ask you, Field McConnell, what are we looking at in Las Vegas? I think you're looking at a very sloppy operation by uh, some parties, including but not limited to uh, the, the group that wishes for the United States to cease to exist. And uh, also the FBI, the CIA have played big parts in this, uh, as apparently the uh, DNC, the, the Democratic National Committee, or whatever these people are, I'm not interested in, in the least, but... Uh, They'll go to any length to do what George Soros suggests they do, and it appears to me that uh, they're nervous as cats now, and it's, uh, that's a rather vague statement, but uh, they know that they've been bested, and I didn't say busted, I said bested. These people know that they are losing the game. Uh, the mainstream media is not fooling anyone. I seldom talk to... Uh, a normal person, and where I live, it's a small town in Wisconsin where everybody's normal, and I think they're trying to divide and conquer us, and I think they're, they're not going to be divided. They're going to be identified and conquered, and I believe, that, uh, and I hope, and I pray, uh, the most important being praying, I truly believe that we're going to see a lot of uh, significant events in the next two weeks. And some of the events will include the capture uh, at the identification and the arrest of pedophiles. 
And uh, that uh, gives me the opportunity to mention that I exposed uh, Hillary Clinton and my sister, whose name is Christine McConnell, excuse me, Christine Marcy. Um, she was a McConnell, and then she went to Satan. Uh, Christine is with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, and I exposed my sister and Hillary Clinton in a Wisconsin courthouse on the 21st of August of 2014, and uh, they did nothing with that other than excuse me from the jury. And so I think oh, that... Oh, wait, wait, we can't, we can't gloss over this, uh, Mr. McConnell, if you don't mind. For those unfamiliar, yes. unfamiliar with what happened, can you, can, okay. you give us, can you give us kind of the, uh, um, the, the framework of the story? The framework of or, or, or as much as you want to get into, because this sounds interesting. You exposed your sister and Hillary Clinton. Um, and for those who don't know you or don't know the story, I'm sure they'd be much appreciative of, of that. Okay. On the 21st of August of 2014, I was impaneled on a jury in the Pierce County, Wisconsin courthouse. And, uh, at the point where the judge was going to release the alternate jurors, uh, he looked at us 12, or is it we 12 in the box, and said, do any of you 12 jurors have a personal relationship with pedophilia? And I raised my hand, and he looked at his notes, and he realized that the guy sitting in that chair was Field McConnell, so he said, Mr. McConnell, you have a personal relationship with pedophilia? And I said, yes, Judge. I didn't say your honor because I do not honor him. I honor God, I hope. Uh, that's my intention. I said, yes, Judge. My sister and Hillary Clinton run the largest global net-centric pedophile ring in the world. That's a party okay. stopper. i got to tell you that. I bet you that, 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 that had to be a party stopper right there, brother. Go on. Yeah, I was a party stopper, and I'm, I'm not making this up, but the uh, – the judge did this, honestly. He put his hands over his ears, and he said, too much information, you're excused. But that's not significant, because I got it on the court record. Here comes the interesting part. Is it still on the court record, or did they expunge it? And uh, either way, they lose, because if, if it's still on the court record, then that brings up the question, why did they not uh, hurt pursue the rest of the story, if they stop there, they're guilty of misprision of felony, uh, which could be a lot of things, uh, felony pedophilia, I suppose. They're also guilty in that courthouse of misprision of treason, because I've identified myself under oath and in writing uh, as a whistleblower, and I've listed the, the variety of topics that I've whistleblown. I think the most significant one is treason against the United States of America, not the corporation uh, of the United States, which came into existence uh, probably in February of 1871. But uh, the people trying to divide our country have a rich history of losing. It goes back to 1763 when a... Rothschild, whose name was either Amschel Mayer or Mayer Amschel. I, they, neither one of them sound like first names to me. But then my first name, Field, doesn't sound like a first name to most other people. But a uh, German named Amschel Mayer, Mayer Amschel, and another German named Adam Weisbot, and that's spelled W-E-I-S-P-H-A-U-T, uh, 
the Rothschild asked the Weisbot, would you please come up with a way that we can control the world and establish a new world order? Well, they didn't get it done. They're losing their grip now. And if we go back to 90 or 91, George H.W. Bush talked about a thousand points of light in a new world order. To me, he's a thousand points of darkness, and his new world order is not going to continue. Uh, They're falling apart at the seams. What was done in Las Vegas didn't fool anybody that can think and put their slurpee down. Uh, It did expose further the weapons and pedophile uh, subcurrents that have been in uh, Las Vegas for a long, long time. I don't think anybody's talking about sarin gas, S-A-R-I-N, being removed from Dugway, uh, D-U-G-W-A-Y, but I'm talking about it, and uh, I'm not very popular with the people who did the Las Vegas thing. I just found out this week, for the first time, something critically important to me and my family. Uh, my wife, ex-wife now, she she got scared of what I do, and she ran off, which is that. That's always regrettable in front of God to see a a divorce. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry for that. I wasn't the instigator. But what I mean is I did not file. I'm not saying there wasn't a reason. There may be. I never heard it. But uh, my wife was stopped by the FBI. My ex-wife was stopped by the FBI on U.S. Highway 10 in Pierce County, Wisconsin, in 2010. And uh, they pulled her over, and they started asking her questions about me. Now, the part I did not know until three or four days ago, my daughter, age 24, visited this past weekend, and she said, Dad, did I ever tell you about the night I was driving home and there was a black SUV in our driveway? And our driveway, by the way, is a half mile long, in the woods, in Wisconsin, quite remote, and uh, nobody really should be parking on my driveway with their lights off on a dark night. But anyway, she had indicated a turn, and it turns out as soon as they saw that truck that she was driving, the FBI agents, who, by the way, do not work for the, the citizens of this country, uh, they started their truck. It was probably idling at that time of the year, but they pulled, they pulled their lights on, and they took off in a great hurry. And my daughter is pretty good at details, and she noticed that the... Uh, the SUV that was black did not have normal license plates. Uh, they were probably government plates. I don't know what the FBI puts on their vehicles, but my message to the FBI is this. If you want to talk to anybody in my family about me and what I'm doing, call me up, talk to me, meet me at the airport when I come and go. But you're real cowards. You talk to a wife, you talk to a daughter, And now when my current wife is stuck out of the U.S. because of my ardent, A-R-D-E-N-T, whistleblowing, uh, she would come and go, and they would always harass her for two two hours, which is a waste of manpower. Uh, And who was doing the wasting of time? That was U.S. Customs and Immigration Service. And then on December 19th of 2016, so some 10 months ago, she tried to come home for Christmas, and they wouldn't let her in the country, and they haven't to this day. And uh, I'm going to try to say this as clearly as and calmly as I can. Uh, before this month is over, I will be filing a lawful claim for $1.66 billion. And it's not about money. 
It's about either live up to your own regulations on delivering a visa within nine months or we'll settle it another way. I'd love nothing more than to vacate that claim, which is in my... Okay. Mr. Let me stop you. Okay. So, okay. Your current wife, where is she at where she's unable to come back to the United States? She's a Brit, and she is over in her native England. Okay. And she's okay, and we're doing well. I mean, we know it's wrong, but we know that God's on our side, and we both believe as firmly as we can that God is doing this for his purpose, and he will reveal his purpose to us later. But it's our job right now to do his will, and we are. Okay. All right. All right. Good, good. I just, yeah, I just want to make, okay. All right. So kind of going backwards from there. Um, wow. Uh, you said so much and there's so much content here. And, and those people who know you and follow you, look, they understand pretty much your continuity of thought, which you're speaking of, but, but I'm sure there's, there's new listeners that, that have questions. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the pedophilia, the, the uh, which is really an incredible subject, and you've done a lot of exposure to and about. Uh, how did that? You, you, you kind of draw. You kind of mentioned this and kind of moved away a little bit. Um, how does that relate to the Vegas, the Vegas issue, if it does, in the context in which the, the latest incident is? Is that a, is that an okay question to ask, or is that? I'm, I'm trying to kind of wrap. Trying to connect some dots here um, within your line of thinking here. Uh, as far as Las Vegas and pedophilia, yes, it's very much uh, linked, and it's linked in a variety of ways, but the most significant linkage is that pedophilia is, in fact, the cement that holds the, uh, the governments uh, together, and the government of England has a rich history in pedophilia, and by exposing the pedophiles at the level which I did, and when I said did, I'm going back to the 20th of May of 2017, I flew over to England as a very good, uh, well, it's not a convention. I flew over to England because a conference was scheduled. Uh, strangely enough, it was scheduled very close to Bletchley Park in the United Kingdom, which is where MI6 uh, used to have their headquarters and so I, I walked right into the belly of the beast and I talked about pedophilia and I will ensure that you gentlemen at Hegman and Hegman you get a copy of the speaking that I did there on May 20th because it's not released to the public yet uh, they make money with these conferences and more power to them God himself wants all of our neighbors to prosper and they're prospering and that man uh, that has the conference called the Alternative View Conferences, uh, he's such a hot ticket in the eyes of the New World Order that they recently arrested him on false charges. But uh, I will do my best, and I'll contact you via email after the show today, tonight. And uh, I believe I can send you some things that you'll find interesting that will not be made public until probably right around January 1st. Uh, that's when it'll be up on a free YouTube. Uh, until then, there's ways for me to get it to you, and I've, I've got my notes right here, and I will be getting you what I can as soon as I can after the show is over. 
Okay, and, and that sounds wonderful because what we can do, obviously, we'll, uh, we can work together and uh, provide uh, cover and support for you in your endeavors and keep things in safekeeping and, of course, uh, again, work together. But, okay, okay, wow, men, thank you, by the way. Um, okay, um, all right. Now, you mentioned sarin gas, uh, Dugway, sarin gas. Catch me up on that if you don't mind, or catch us catch us all up on that if again to the extent possible and uh, the the reference that you made to that. Well, I I made that reference because this uh, crisis actor maybe there really was a, a paddock. I don't know. I think there must have been a sometime. There may be still is. I got a call this morning and they uh, the person I was talking to who is who is not a professional in the law enforcement world, but he's very interested in Las Vegas, uh, that party told me that uh, he had been, meaning Paddock had been seen in, uh, on the East Coast where they have the big gambling stuff, and he'd also reportedly been seen in the Philippines where his girlfriend or whatever relationship they have, she left before the shooting. There's a lot of people that think he's still alive. Uh, there's a lot of people that say that he has at one point had a uh, relationship with the IRS. And let me just point out something that most of your listeners don't know. The IRS is a private corporation. Uh, it is owned lock, stock, and barrel by Northern Trust, which is a private corporation. And uh, the IRS and the ABA, which is the American Bar Association, and by the way, these attorneys and judges with bar uh, membership, uh, they're all serving a foreign power, which makes them rogues. Uh, the attorneys and the judges that have bar membership in the ABA are benefiting the New World Order, if you will, but more accurately, uh, the monarch of England. But let me get back to Sarin Gas and, Doug, and Dugway. Um, it was also reported by the mainstream media, which seldom does anything but, you know, provide content for somebody that wants to line their birdcage. But there was some questions that came up about this man working uh, for a variety of organizations, and he may have worked with all of them. But uh, there were a bunch of weapon, uh, chemical weapons and ammunition that have been removed or explosives might be more accurate from Dugway. Well, if they're taking things out of Dugway and they want to use them against the American population, uh, sarin gas would be a good uh, killing device. And uh, I believe that, I truly do believe that some sarin, sarin, S-A-R-I-N, is unaccounted for at Dugway. And I wouldn't notice this. You know, a lot of people misunderstand me. It's not that I have any interest in this. I don't go looking for it. It comes to me. But I can see a pattern very clearly. And when I see a pattern, that gets my attention. And uh, there was a gentleman who most of your listeners never heard of, but his name was John Parsons, plural, P-A-R-S-O-N-S, plural, uh, Wheeler. And uh, the previous president who went to my high school, but his name wasn't, his name was not Barack Obama in high school. Uh, my sister, Christine Marcy, gave him his passport with that name in 1994. But uh, when Obama was the president, John Parsons Wheeler, who worked for MITRE Corporation, M-I-T-R-E, 
1966 West Point graduate. He went in uh, and he asked for and got a personal meeting with Obama, and he told him, you know, man, the boy, he said, uh, I recognize what's killing all these red-winged blackbirds up and down the uh, flyway between, oh, let's just say between Wisconsin and Arkansas. And he said, these birds, which are falling out of the sky by the hundreds and thousands, uh, they have been in contact with phosgene, P-H-O-S-G-E-N-E, phosgene gas. And he said that phosgene gas was sourced uh, in Iraq. And when the United States said that was the weapons of mass destruction, potentially, uh, now, it, now what used to be in Iraq, is in Arkansas, and I don't know if it's uh, if there's an army fort down there, which would be a great place for some public gallows. Uh, fort Chafee, I believe, is the army base. But there's also Little Rock Air Force Base, and uh, I've got some history with Little Rock Air Force Base. Not that that matters, but I see the same pattern. The people that took in something fatal, lethal, that can be used against our own population, being both the sarin, S-A-R-I-N, and the phosgene, P-H-O-S-G-E-N-E, uh, these have been taken in by, I'll call them the deep state. Uh, we can call them a lot of things, uh, the shadow government. But I prefer naming names. And, uh, you know, Christine Marcy, my sister, and Hillary Clinton, uh, I'll toss in another one, John McCain, these people are all deep state operatives, and what they think, I believe, I'm not a psychiatrist, although when I whistled blew 9-11, I was scheduled to see one, so I just retired eight years earlier, because when they take whistleblowers such as myself and send them to either medical doctors or psychiatrists, they always use the same three, at least in the case of airline personnel, and those three doctors are uh, Dr. Warren Silberman, S-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N, Dr. Michael Berry, and the shrink is Dr. Ed uh, Elliott. And I was scheduled for a psychiatric exam by him. What he would have done, first of all, I didn't do it. I just told him I don't play those games, and I quit in 10 minutes. 10 minutes from the contact with my company, Northwest Orient Airlines, which was a great company, uh, and they, they knew what I was involved in with 9-11 whistleblowing. And they were supportive of me, but they would have been in big trouble with the federal government if they didn't do their bidding. So when I was scheduled for the shrink, I retired in a 10-minute uh, reaction to their crime, uh, and I didn't go see the shrink. If I had, he would have put me on psychotropic drugs, given me a false or fraudulent diagnosis, and therein I would have lost my expert witness value. And uh, I have my expert witness value today, but strangely, the media, the mainstream media, doesn't want any witnessing from me, but uh, God himself, using several different scriptures, but the key scripture is Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. God wants me to keep talking, so I'm going to talk until uh, my Lord and Savior calls me home. And as far as the Saren and the Dugway and the Phosgene and Arkansas, uh, these people that are trying to destroy our country, and they haven't destroyed us yet, and red, yellow, black, and white, we're all together. We don't, we have a common enemy, 
but our enemy is not each other. I've never had a, a black American harm me, threaten me, kill me, or change my mind. I, and same with, I'm part Indian. I can say that because I'm part Native American. But I've never had uh, a Native American try to harm me. I've never had an Oriental try to harm me. Never had a Spanish surname person try to harm me. The only persons or organizations that have ever tried to harm me, Field McConnell, all are government offices, and they include most recently the United States Customs and Immigration Service, uh, the court system, the Internal Revenue Service, which of course is not really the government's private corporation, and uh, the state of Wisconsin at various levels. I live in Wisconsin. It's a beautiful state, uh, but it's it's one of the dirtier states in the country from my experience, and I've I've been to all 50 states, and I've lived in a lot of them, but that was sort of a run-on sentence. But uh, sarin gas, a lot of other explosives, a lot of weapons, and the phosgene, it's our own government letting the uh, people and the organizations trying to destroy the tranquility, the prosperity, the, the love, and the trust of the United States of America. They are going to fail, and uh, when they do fail, uh, I would love to fly out to Erie and just have a you know 30 minute conversation with you guys because it's it's gentlemen like you uh, Doug and Joe that are not allowing the controlled mainstream media to starve Americans of the truth and and a lot of Americans don't want the truth simply because they know it's so ugly they think they can't handle it but you know uh, God if you if you haven't already turned yourself over to God God will give you the courage to at least learn what's going on and not allow yourself to be put in fear by these guys who among other things are generally pedophiles and if not active pedophiles, pedophile friendly and tolerant but the one thing that they all are is cowards and I know that for lots of reasons including I've never had TSA or Customs or the FBI ask me a question but they, they pestered uh, one child and, and two wives and I don't think grown men should be bothering young women. Well, do you think, I mean, the TSA, uh, obviously, is is not, it's not constitutional. It shouldn't even exist. You were a pilot. Uh, I, look, I remember when you used to be able to walk on, I'm dating myself now, you used to be able to walk on an aircraft, no, not never show ID, walk through a metal detector, and they would pick up the uh, uh, the fare at the seat. Yes. You know, and, and now... You've got to have like an uh, an act of Congress to get on an aircraft. I mean, the, the TSA is just out of control and filled with filled with felons, basically. Well, they they do serve a function. Uh, they provide uh, funding for people that cannot get jobs at uh, McDonald's. So if somebody can't get a job at McDonald's, they can always go to TSA because see, there is no need for TSA. None, zero. Because the whole idea behind TSA, which came out after 9-11, I'll name two names here, just to titillate your listeners, Michael Chertoff and the Naval Academy graduate from the class of 1968, J.M. Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Uh, their organization, which is Chertoff, C-H-E-R-T-O-F-F, they've made billions of dollars uh, enforcing the Patriot Act, which actually was written before 9-11. And the two names that I think need to be uh, spoken with by 
uh, President Trump's people that are good, I'd say they ought to talk to both Chertoff and J.M. Cohen about what happened in Las Vegas, because once again, I don't want anybody to think I'm doing this because I want to. I don't want anybody to think I think I'm smart. All I'm doing is what God prepared me to do, and God prepared me to fight this battle of Ephesians, uh, good versus evil. And when I see Shertoff and J.M. Cohen making billions on 9-11, and I see him now installing a lot of security in Las Vegas, security that's not necessary. Uh, as you can hear from the sound of my voice, and it's a live show, I'm still alive. And these people that want all of us Americans with critical thinking skills, dead, sick, and impoverished. I'm not dead, I'm not sick, and they haven't impoverished me yet, but they've sure tried awful hard. Uh, and, you know, we'll just see. At some point, I'm gonna run out of luck, which of course, I don't operate on luck, I'm blessed. But they think we all operate on luck, and they think they can rain on my parade. Let me just summarize by saying, if somebody wants to harm me, You've got a mighty enemy, and you don't recognize your enemy. It's God and his son Jesus, and they put me on this mission. And according to Philippians 1.6, I believe it is, uh, having said this, that he who started a good work will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that, that could mean until we have the second coming, or it could mean, in my case, until God calls me home. And uh, he will call me home. Uh, when he's done having me work for him, but I hope and pray that he'll allow me to to either join my wife in England or have her join me here in the United States. And uh, there's no reason that she shouldn't be here because she's done nothing wrong ever, and they're just trying to separate us physically, knowing they can never separate us uh, emotionally or intellectually. Is there is there anything field is there anything that we as a as a talk show or our audience can do to assist you in this? I mean, what's keep you mentioned that that she's not allowed back in the country? Is uh, that's correct? On the nineteenth of December of twenty sixteen, she was turned away by a customs agent at the Minneapolis airport, and he was not he was doing something he didn't want to do. I'm a pretty good judge of behavior. And he was absolutely livid. He came out of where he had uh, detained her, and, ulti- and ultimately he turned her around and sent her back to England. And I think that's cruel and unusual punishment no matter what. If you want to send her to England, don't turn her around after a nine-hour flight, keep her on the ground three hours, and then send her back on an eight-hour flight. That's cruel and unusual punishment. But you ask if there's anything people can do. Uh, yes. And I will send you an email. I'm writing a note right now. Um, I think the greatest thing people can do, and they can do it somewhat anonymously and for free, is uh, there are people out there tweeting uh, President Trump and tweeting Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin and tweeting uh, Congressman Ron Kind of Wisconsin uh, and it could be a simple message, and I'll get you a very specific message message that's very quick and simple, but uh, if if they could tweet some message such as reunite Field and Denise or send Denise home, uh, the person who's running our Twitter uh, effort, I don't know what that symbol is, it's like an at or something, whatever that symbol is, after that, uh, our 
Twitter force is commanded by a guy called the Telford Russian, and his Twitter ID is capital T E L F O R D Telford underscore capital R U S S I A N. So the Twitter handle is Telford underscore Russian, and it's there's a reason why we're using that account, and that's because if she's not back in the United States with a visa by a certain date between the 31st of October and the 2nd of November, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to be going over to London to the Russian embassy, and I'm going to seek asylum, and I'm going to seek a visa to visit Moscow before I'm given asylum, because if I was in Russia, I could go back and forth to England, or if I was in England, you know, we wouldn't need the Russian connection, but I am an extremely high-profile whistleblower when it comes to pedophilia, 9-11 flying events, MH370, and MH17, and I would lay all of those things at the feet of the shadow government, the deep state of the United States of America, including my sister, Christine Marcy, the Clinton, Bush, and Obama crime families, and just to keep things fair and balanced, John S. McCain, who I've probably written more about his three-generation treason, including his father and his grandfather. I don't think anybody's written more about that than me, and I'm not bragging. The only thing I will ever brag about for the rest of my life is how kind and gracious my Lord and Savior is to keep me alive and to give me a stimulating job for the last 10 years and 10 months. Very interesting. Wow. Wow. Just wow. I mean, you covered a lot of real estate there. Okay. I'll cover all the real estate. Let me tell you why. There's people all around the globe that send me messages, and some of those messages, I don't know how many, but I've actually gotten warnings of planned nuclear events, if you can believe that. I'm just a common guy. I'll fly out to Erie sometime at my own expense, expecting nothing other than to shake your hand for having the nerve to put me on. But there's a catch. I won't fly out to Erie until Denise is here and she can fly with me. Well, that would be good, and I think that that's, you know, that would be a kind of victory lap for you. Okay. You know, you mentioned MH370 and the other two aircraft. And when you were on last time, you were talking about the, I think you used an acronym, however, to describe the takeover. Okay. It's still a mystery with respect to the two aircraft that I referenced. Where are you at on that, or where are we at on that? Because there's still questions, correct? I mean, not you. You appear to have the answer to what happened to those aircraft. Well, just to agree with you, rather than being vague or being subjective, when MH370 was reported to have been missing, which it never was, not for one nanosecond was it missing, but the same day that it occurred, which 8th of March of 2014, 
Uh, it looks like I put out a YouTube. Let me tell you and your listeners, I don't know how to make a YouTube. So it obviously could not have been me. But I have a vast amount of resources, of hu human and technological resources. And on the same day that Malaysia 370 was taken, uh, this group that I look like I work for, Able Danger, put out a, a YouTube. And the title is very easy to find. I mean, it's easy to understand, and all you have to do is go to YouTube and put the title in, and you'll see about five minutes and 40 seconds that will really educate anyone who watches it. Uh, the name of the YouTube is Boeing, B-O-E-I-N-G, Uninterruptible Autopilot, and that's the, uh, it's, co it's generally uh, shortened to B-U-A-P, but B-U-A-P stands for Boeing Uninterruptible Autopilot. And when the people, in, the good people and the bad people in Malaysia, when they saw my name and face all over that YouTube, I got a phone call on Saturday the 22nd of March of 2014. That was exactly two weeks after the airplane did not go missing. And it was a gentleman from Malaysia who said, uh, did you put out a YouTube about MH370? And I didn't want to waste valuable time with details that don't matter. So I said, yes, that's my, I think I said something like, that's my YouTube. Uh, actually, there's a gentleman who doesn't like getting credit. And of course, in a deal like this, uh, a lot of the people who send me valid and lethal information or give me support, I don't mean financial support, I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, and you know, I ha I still had food and shelter and clothing uh, today, so I'm not worried about the money. But I know who the gentleman is, and I'll just uh, I'll just say he lives in Arizona, and he put that out immediately. And he is an archivist. I'm not sure I pronounce that right, but he runs an archive. Uh, in Arizona and another an online archive and it's at A-B-E-L that's ABLE like Cain and ABLE uh, A-B-E-L danger all ten letters together no space abledanger.org that is a rich 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 archive for anybody that wants to know you know who's trying to do what to whom and it's uh you don't want to keep everything, although it's up in the cloud electronically, but uh, it's also archived in Japan, and uh, it may be archived in Wisconsin. But by the way, I, I did I did since your last appearance, I want to tell people this: it's worth the time to watch the video, uh, Mr. Mr. McConnell uh, referenced. It's worth very very much worth your time to watch it. Um, how long is it? It's not that long either. It's uh, five minutes. And 40 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it was incredibly brief, but right to the point, right, very concise. And uh, good job on that, by the way. Well, keep in mind, I, you know, I've just lived this life that God created me to live. Uh, but there's other people supporting me with technological stuff. Uh, and w when you at first asked me about MH370, I was trying to answer. I, I do a lot of run-on sentences because my mind is sort of active. But... Uh, after that phone call on the, uh, the 22nd of March of 2014, during that first phone call with Malaysia, the gentleman I spoke with said, would you be willing to come to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia? And I said, well, it's Saturday, 
And as a courtesy to my family, could I depart Monday instead of tomorrow? And he said, no, no, you move too fast. We will have to assemble two different groups of people. We'll have to assemble a group of airline experts at MAS, which is Malaysia Airlines System. And he said, we're going to have to get a group of government officials, and we'll have two separate meetings where we can all ask you questions. And I said, okay, well, you call me when you need me. I'll be there. Uh, and I had a lot of friends, uh, good friends who care about me. I had friends say, Field, we don't think you should go to Malaysia because it could be a trap. And I said, well, there's two choices. If I go to Malaysia, and I told them, I never doubted I was going. I said, first of all, I've already made the decision. I'm going. But I said, if I'm going there on my own uh, purpose or on my own ego, then a trap could succeed. If I'm going there because God wants me to expose what really happened, uh, then they can set a trap for me and I'll walk right through it. Because everywhere I go, God goes before me. And when he sees any uh, lack of courage on my part, he grabs my hand and leads me. He doesn't pull me or force me. I follow. I follow willingly. I follow firm in the uh, knowledge that I've got quite a retirement package coming from God. And I just pray every day that I don't get my retirement package uh, until I reunite with Denise. And uh, my wife's name is Denise Irene Clark McConnell. And uh, we have very nice rings. Talking about support, we have matching rings that were made by a gentleman in the west side of England. Uh, and we have people around the world doing a lot of things to help us or just to keep our spirits up. Uh, but she's a, she's a loving, kind, kind woman. And, but on the other hand, she's emotionally tough and she doesn't cry herself to sleep at night that I know of. Uh, I have sometimes, but we know we're going to win this and we're going to win it in short order. And, uh, there's a, there's a Twitter, I think it's at real Donald Trump or at POTUS, but uh, Donald Trump knows what I do. In fact, this goes back to Las Vegas. Uh, Las, Las Vegas occurred on Sunday, the 1st of October. The 2nd of October was my birthday, and on the 3rd of October, I do radio shows of my own on live stream, and I, you know, people want to watch them, I'm easy to find. <clears throat> Excuse me. But on the, on Wednesday, the 4th of October, uh, one of the people in my circle of agents, if you will, and we're all just citizens of the world, uh, that have compassion and want to solve these problems. <clears throat> but someone said, uh, field in an email, just to me, he said, uh, if you want to get any message to President Trump, I know a law enforcement official that will be in his entourage today. And so I wrote a seventh, I'm writing right now to a 17 sentence. I wrote a message of some 17 bullet statements, uh, that I believe they were uh, delivered. <clears throat> Excuse my coffee. I talk so much. I sometimes get a dry throat, although I have water here, but, uh, the message was passed to Donald Trump. Now for the last 90 plus days, we've been going through former Marine, retired Marine General John F. Kelly, uh, trying to share true information through Kelly to Trump. Right. Uh, we're not sure it was getting through, so now we go to Trump directly. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are 
confused. Is Trump the real deal, uh, or is he not? And to me, it doesn't matter. Well, go ahead. Yeah, when you say, when you go to Donald Trump directly, now, how does that work, okay, as opposed to going through his people? How do you how do you get to Donald Trump directly, if, if I can ask that, and if you can state? Yes, you, you can ask. I will answer. You can state, and I think it's a good question. Uh, in in my uh, communication on Wednesday, the 4th of October, which was just under a week uh, ago, I sent a 17-page email to a third party, and then I saw his email to the third party with the contact information blacked out. Uh, first of all, the, the go-between knows me very well, and uh, he trusts my judgment and my body of information, if you will, on these things. Uh, and he got it to a law enforcement official there in Clark County, Las Vegas, Nevada, and I truly believe it was delivered to him. Uh, see, And the reason I do that is not because I think Donald Trump or President Trump would be interested in listening to one person but when the one person is exposing that his chief of staff, John F. Kelly, may or may not be passing it on to Trump, there's a lot of people that think he became the chief of staff under Trump to act as a gatekeeper. I don't, uh, I don't suffer gatekeepers real well. I just knock the gates down one way or the other. And you, this is a perfect case because the message to Trump, uh, was meant to encourage him and let him know that even though he has 18 official intelligence agencies, those guys are all fighting and backbiting and uh, competing for funding dollars. A uh, perfect example is in 9-11, uh, Jamie Gorelick uh, put up the Gorelick wall to try to keep FBI and CIA separate, which I don't know if that's true or not because they're all part of the deep state too. The CIA is, is sold out to England, and the FBI is sold out to some uh, known banking families, for instance, the Rockefeller family. And, uh, in fact, I wonder how many of your listeners even know what the word police stands for. And it means enforcing the policies of those who think they are lord of our life. Uh, a lot of us, including both you gentlemen and I'm sure your family, uh, we don't need any other lords. Uh, they lord over us how smart they are, and they lord over us how unintelligent we are, and they may be correct, but they're not as smart as they think, and it doesn't take, uh, it doesn't take too large of an army of people that have a passionate purpose and a call, C-A-L-L. If you want to see how someone's called, it's written in Psalm 94-16, but, uh, I truly believe that uh, there's there's the relationship between this John Kelly, who's the chief of staff, yes, chief of staff for Trump today. His former job, uh, he used to be the Secretary of Homeland Security, at the and they own customs, by the way. So here's uh, Homeland Security, DHS, and here's USCIS. So I petitioned directly to Secretary. John F. Kelly, when he was in the position of a DHS secretary, and he didn't uh, do a darn thing for me. In fact, he may have, uh, this is my opinion, it may not be accurate, he may have uh, 
uh, work against me. I'm not saying he did, but he certainly could, because a couple of people in the deep state or the shadow government uh, do not want me to prosper or to have the company of my wife, Denise Irene Clark McConnell. And the only problem for them is, and one of them, I, I'll repeat her name, Christine Marcy, my sister, and that's Christine with a K. But she used to be in charge of the uh, the National Visa Center, which, of course, has some input into who can get a visa and who can get a passport. Well, my sister got Obama a passport when his name in my high school, Punahou School in Honolulu, his name there was Barry Swatero, S-O-E-T-O-R-O. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa. She, okay, just to be clear now. I just, I just want to stop you right there because this is so critical. Okay. Yes. So your your sister actually uh, worked. It was the head of the passport office. Is that what you're saying? The national yes. passport. It was subject to her. Uh, she was a 30 year bureaucrat. That uh, she was a. Well, she was a master of nothing. Uh, but she thought she was. She was a tool uh, for the New World Order because the New World Order, which was uh, first thought up in 1763, their goal all along has been to create one world, one religion, and one plantation of debt slavery slaves. And they came real close, or they've come real close to establishing this but I do not think God is going to let them succeed because in order for that program to finally fall into place, and keep in mind that in 1990 and 91, G.H.W. Bush was calling for it. Um, right. But they haven't succeeded yet, and I think they're getting very, very sloppy in their work. And at the same time, they're getting nervous and sloppy uh, a, a larger number or larger percentage of global citizens are coming awake. And so as more and more people come awake, and let me stop there and applaud you both for having the nerve to do what you do, and just to keep a set of crosshairs off your heads, uh, there's other people that have the courage to publish the truth. Uh, there's an organization called Hear the Watchmen. There's Caravan to Midnight. Uh, there's 21st Century Wire. There's a UK column over in England. But oh, see, there's plenty. They, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there are a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot, and you can scare most of us, but you can't scare us all. And, and until you scare us or kill us, uh, we're not putting up with your plans for a continuation of debt slavery. Right. Uh, the Rothschilds are suddenly unpopular in a, uh, a variety of nations, including Russia, Hungary. Um, North Korea, I believe. They're, they're, a couple of years ago, there were only about eight nation states that didn't allow the central bankers. Well, the central bankers are going to, as they become increasingly tied to things like Las Vegas and 9-11 and Malaysia 370, MH370 and MH17, it, all these things have one thing in common, and that's a, a bunch of evil people that are serving Satan and I know that you guys are very profound Christians, but even a novice Christian that just uh, became saved maybe two weeks ago would know that in the Bible, in the end, God wins, not Satan. Well, amen, indeed, amen. But I got to go back, Mr. McConnell, and ask it again, just to be clear. 
this passport issue, identifying, um, and and I apologize for re- retreading over ground, but but the passport issue and the identification of Barry Satoro uh, as Barry Satoro, uh, you're telling me you've got the goods, uh, you, you've got the, the documentation that would prove the identity, uh, authenticated identity identity of Barry Satoro slash Barack Hussein Obama. Is that what you're stating? Yes. That's what I'm saying. In fact, uh, I'll send you a picture of something um, after the show. But I've got I've got a very nice hearse that I use. And what my message with the odd cars I drive, my message is simply this. I'm not afraid of you. I mean, the FBI has never had the nerve to stop my hearse. Uh, but on, it's a 1996 Cadillac hearse. They only made six of them ever, Cadillac, this model. I've got one. It's got 21,000 miles. And in the center, there's three sets of windows going back. In the center window is a metal sign that says Barry Swatero. The second line says Punahou uh, Punaho 79. I was a Punahou 67 graduate, and uh, I will die at some point, but I'm exposing... With my hearse, I'm exposing various for Terrell or Obama. Wow. Phil McConnell, we are wow. out of time. We want to thank you so much for coming wow. on with us today. Able Danger is the YouTube wow. channel. Uh, go there, visit there, and uh, abledanger.com. Thank you, Mr. McConnell. We'll be talking with you soon. Thank you. God bless you both. Time really went quickly. God bless you. We'll be back with Stan Deo after this. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, danielholdings.com. That's danielholdings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to danielholdings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. final hour on this edition of the Hagman Report, and each and every Tuesday in hour number three, we are fortunate enough to be joined by Mr. Standeo. Standeo.com is the website, and there on Standeo.com, you go to the show images page on the right-hand side, uh, just next to the microphone under the YouTube banner, and click the show images button, and that pops up what the page Stan puts together with his research, his findings, and anything else he wants to visualize. And we go over that information when he comes on with us each and every Tuesday. Stan, it's great to have you back. Oh, we don't have him yet. Sorry, Eric. I jumped well, it's great to one. be back, <laughs> Doug and Joe. He nah, be joining us is, on... that, is that a good impression of Stan? No, it's not. I, I, I can't do impressions worth, you know, who we. So, um, just yeah. like last week, Stan's going to be yeah. joining us via Skype video. And uh, he's been on, That's when he comes cool. on, he's usually on uh, audio. And last week, we, for whatever reason, we had him do the video feed, and I believe that's because there was a problem with the Transformer at Global Star. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And yeah. that he wasn't able to connect through the usual means, so now we're doing the Skype video. Well, he always looks so good. I, I want him, like, in, a, in a Indiana Jones kind of... He, he does look like Indiana Jones, you know, in a way. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 what? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, he's on? Shh, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> hey, Stan. Stan. Yeah, can you hear me now? There no, we go. Now he can, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're the man. You're the man. Yes, well, not Indiana Jones, but uh, well, not lookalike anyway, but... Uh, well, you're the... you're dapper enough to, to be Indiana Jones, really, and I'll tell you what, you've, you've had the experiences thereof, so... Um, and I hear a four-legged friend in the background. Our lady, the studio dog, heard. Believe it or not, I bring my my dog to the studio every night, and uh, she she heard that little tinkle of a bell, uh, you know, the the in her collar or whatever, and her ears just perked up. I'm watching her. So anyway, yeah, I don't know what's happened. Someone's up at the door, I guess. Uh, they all went berserk up there. So oh well that's anyway. all right so it, it's another week an, another set of headlines uh, another quadrant of destruction you got fires you got floods you got fire and brimstone i don't know what else we got going but uh, famines famines venezuela today imf today announced venezuela's inflation rate was going to go up 2300% but in 2018 leading to a, an already uh, taking a already uh just terrible 
economic system to where people have been fighting for scraps of food to survive and then, you know, multiplying uh, these people's ability not to get food, their inability to get food. They're going to multiply that with this inflation rate, and pretty soon nobody's going to be able to get any food. And one thing that's really bothering me about Venezuela is no solutions have been put forward, no remedies to fix uh, the current trends of the economics and these people are going to continue to suffer at a massive level if this continues to move forward without intervention in some way. Socialism there is working, by the way. <laughs> yeah, equal misery for all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you got to wonder uh, what is going to happen. I mean, the, the government can't stand that kind of performance. It's just going to be revolution. No, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, is that standing in your view? Is that kind of like a look into our future if things keep going the way they're going? Yes. Um, the Venezuelans were not, you know, as affluent uh, as we are here in America, and uh, that makes a big difference in the crowd reaction when resources get skinny. Now, here, people have been raised not maybe one generation, generation and a half, where, you know, things that you eat were grown at the, at the grocery store. You just go get them there, and that's it. Uh, they've never, we've never done without as a nation. Um, you know, there's been plenty of dairy products and vegetables and, and meat and everything. And, you know, nobody goes hungry as a general rule unless they're, you know, in a, a low income family or, you know, disadvantaged somehow or another. So when we have a revolution, if, if we do, but I think we will, it will be because, uh, people have suddenly realized, well, I can't go to the store and buy any, any food. There's none there. And if it was, I couldn't afford it anyway. Um, that's lack of preparation, lack of foresight, because you know, people are just dazed, thinking that ah, the government will take care of us, everything will be all right. It's been that way before, it'll be that way tomorrow. And that, I think, is going to make our reaction a lot quicker, a lot more severe than what might happen in, say, uh, Venezuela, because they haven't been used to so much. You know, they've depended totally upon the grocery store. They've been growing their own and doing local community stuff a lot more than we have here. And this does present a real problem because people are going to start, you know, attacking each other for resources uh, here uh, if we have a civil war. As I say, I think we probably will. Okay. It'll be interesting. That looks not too that looks not too promising, but but I do believe we will as well. Or the way I see it, and I think you had described this, uh, and, and it wasn't recently; it was some time ago. I think we're already in a civil war. The, the first shots have not, uh, or maybe they have been fired already, but uh, the memo just hasn't really gone out that, that uh, the Civil War is active. You know, it's just uh, we're we're we're, so, we're divided among racial lines, among um, among all lines, Re- religious lines, yeah. financial lines. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean uh, the the religion side of it is certainly a major factor, but the the race or culture type thing you know, we've got uh, Hispanics against uh, uh, Americans per se um, that's a biggie, uh, black against white, uh, black against yellow yellow against black, I mean all that kind of stuff It's uh, and conservative against a liberal this country is firmly divided you know, uh, that way that doesn't take blind trade to see that in the news um and as you say, it's an undeclared, officially type civil war because people are taking sides, just like in the 1800s in the Great Civil War that we had before. Very interesting, uh, Stan. 
And, um, you know, with all the stuff going, I want to bring your attention to this kind of, uh, bring this together. As I was talking with John after the show about this last night, it seems that the, uh, since the eclipse, and that was August 21st. Oh, I heard 24th you guys or 21st. About this. Yeah. Uh, you know, so immediately after the eclipse, then we had the formation and then, uh, devastation of Hurricane Harvey, then Irma, um, then you have, you know, these earthquakes that are seeming to increase uh, in different parts across the country and the world. And then you, from Mexico City, the 7.4 or whatever it was down there. Then you have, you know, the, the Las Vegas and now wildfires. People were, I've, I've read a lot of, um, different things on the internet that say that all this chaos, you know, jumping from one news story to the other of chaos, whether it's natural disasters, you know, terrorist attacks, uh, you know, wildfires, that it's just been this ongoing roller coaster since the eclipse. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Stan, because I know in ancient cultures, uh, many cultures would look at the eclipse as a, a harbinger of doom. Um, many people, I mean, there's lots of different cultures that practice lots of different things when the eclipse was taking place. But I want to ask you, um, if you think there's anything to that, or it was just an, the eclipse happened and that was, it's a coincidence that it fell at that time. And then all this other stuff that we're seeing is, um, you know, just a, as a matter of coincidence after the fact. Or do you think there's a well, relation? I do think that we've seen an increase in natural disasters, a significant one since, well, late August, September 23rd even was a, a symbol for the sign of the times. If you look at the Revelation 12 um, passage about the Virgo and the Leo constellation, these things mark the season and the the uh, lunar or solar eclipse that occurred over the United States may have been particularly for us to see, to realize that uh, we're going to be in judgment. Uh, certainly, we've, as a country, we've fallen way short of the mark of what we should be as witnesses for the, the Lord. But uh, uh, with that being said, I think this will continue to escalate the, these uh, problems, these uh, disasters, right on into the tribulation period. I think we're at the doorstep of that. Um, certainly, you have the the hurricanes, uh, the earthquakes are triggered also by solar gravitational and lunar gravitational variations, especially when our planet is, I think, starting to expand just slightly, uh, taking on more energy from the sun, because it can take on energy in through the north and south pole and through the electric field uh, from the solar wind. We have an unusual solar minimum this time, solar sunspot minimum, in that we're seeing um, potential threats to the planet of solar EMP flares about every 30 days at the present uh, development on the surface of the sun. We should see another pass at us which could potentially produce an EMP event here um, around the uh, first week of November, last week of October. I forget exactly what the date is, but it's every 28 days and uh, so it's it'll probably be around the last week of, of October on the 30th and we'll see the Earth-facing side of the sun come with, um, you know, potential halo, uh, that you know, circular type EMP type uh, CMEs produced by the sun coming straight at the Earth. The EMP produced by the sun is not as bad as EMPs produced by a nuclear detonation. Um, it's a slower, more lethargic type EMP and hits more our power grid than it does homes and cars. 
electronics. Not all cars are going to be affected by it anyway. As I said last week, um, the current research shows that uh, the great majority of cars will just simply turn off, even in a nuclear EMP, and you just turn the key and start them again and drive off. Anyway, um, that that all these things, I think, that are quote-unquote natural disasters, I think, are going to be later determined to be judgments of God, you know, in the historical look at this time period. And Stan, never seen. I don't mean to take you off your stride, but we're getting some, some comments. Your uh, video looks great. The audio, there's something going on. We can hear what you're saying perfectly fine. Yeah, there it is. It's like some electronic interference. It makes this lo- loud humming sound. Um, um, well, hold on. Let me wow, see if I wow, there you go. That's better. Whatever you did, the volume, your volume is better. Which yeah, you just knocked it out of the park there. Is it okay now? Yeah, yeah, Back. perfect. Maybe it was just moving the earpiece. I'm not sure. It sounded either like electronic interference or something like that. <laughs> go figure. Well, Holly says I have magic fingers. Uh, sometimes my lamp here <laughs> or the power uh, supply down here does interfere. Um, hmm. Well, it sounds better than it did 10 okay. seconds ago, 20 seconds ago. So. Okay, sorry about that. Well, there you go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at the earthquake map because things are happening as we speak. I'm watching earthquakes in Central America, Mexico. Um, I did a study, which I haven't put up on the show images page today, um, of earthquakes, you know, over the last... Um, 18 months, 14 months, and because somebody was telling me they thought that the earthquakes we've been having are, you know, atypical, that we're seeing a lot more Richter sixes and stuff like that. And I'll just read, you know, my data here off of this computer. Um, I went back to 2016 in July, the end of July and into August, to see how many, you know, quakes occurred there. And, um, then each month thereafter, each you know thirty days thereafter, and this month you know from September the tenth to October the tenth, the last thirty days, we've had eleven Richter six or better. Okay, the month before we had twelve, month before that ten, month before that ten again. The average seems to be about eleven Richter sixes you know through the last fourteen months, and if you look at uh, November uh, to December of last year, there were twenty Richter sixes or better. And in the end of October to the end of November last year, there were 14. So last year we saw a lot more Richter six activity than this year. So don't be misled, you know, by the fact that we've had uh, you know 11 in the last 30 days. People are getting a bit excited about that. So I I did applaud of that just to see if we need to worry about it. <clears throat> and at this point, I'm not. Um, the the small earthquakes in the United States around the Northwest, um, in that big chunk that always has an outline of quakes around it, that seems to be pretty busy at this time. And I've been seeing conflicting reports of a Richter 5 type earthquake just at the foot of the Juan de Fuca, but I've not been able to, to verify that on any U.S. or European websites. I think it might be just a, a bad, uh, size monitor reading somewhere. However, we, uh, we are seeing more earthquakes, I think, in the United States in areas like Oklahoma and in Idaho. Now, on the map, it looks like it's just a bunch of little dots over the top of each other. And unless you zoom in, you don't see how many there really are. And while we're on earthquakes, go to slide 43 and show images. 
<clears throat> Are you there yet? Yeah. Can you hear me? Right now. Yep. Wow, there we go. All huh. All right. <clears throat> now, Kim, our earthquake monitor lady on, on the show, sent me notices all day today. Have a look at this. Have a look at this as it was continuing. Now, there are about 150 quakes that have occurred over the last three days in an area you do not want to see them. Now, this is at La Palma Island in the Canaries. And that ridge coming from the volcanic cone up the top, coming down to the tip, that ridge is called the Cumbre de Vieja Volcanic Ridge. And it's a peculiar formation, as we've talked about before, in that you have, like, vertical um, crystallized wells, in essence, from magma formations in the past that held water, hold water. When earthquake activity cracks those, it's going to release large amounts of water underneath a bunch of overburdened sediment and dirt and stuff that's on top of the the plain to the, the left of that ridge. Now, um, I'm not sure that I agree with where they say that tidal wave would hit when it comes if it slides off into the sea. Excuse me. The, some reports say that it'll hit up as high as North Carolina. I prefer the the direction from what I can see. You can see the ocean bed there. The, the contour lines focus more south than straight across the United States. So I'm thinking it'll probably hit more like um, Florida, Puerto Rico, uh, maybe up uh, the coastline in, in northern Florida a bit. If it does happen you know, reasonably soon, um, they've sent special teams, nine nine members over to uh, the Cumbre de Vieja to put in new monitoring equipment in the last 24 hours because they are understandably concerned about this. And, um, you know, I wouldn't like to be one of those nine guys sitting on the side of that <laughs> that ridge on the left side of it, the west side of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> talk about a ride. Wow. If that starts to go into the sea, you have a fast ride down the hill. Anyway, uh, but they have put nine men and women over there to uh, run the test and to keep a close eye on it. They have no idea why it's happening, and I don't either. But as I say, you don't want to see earthquakes around those fragile vertical water barrels, in essence, formed out of crystallized you know, magma formations in the past. They've stored up a lot of water and just natural processes, and uh, cracking them certainly would lubricate a bunch a bunch of dirt stuff to slide off into the sea and create a tidal wave that could be hundreds of feet high when it hits the east coast of the United States. So that's earthquakes in La Palma. Stan, uh, before we switch gears here, I, I just wanted to bring attention to your photo or photos of the day on uh, Standale's website, standale.com. Um, you click photo of the day there it will pull up these images uh, California dreaming turns California hell and this shows a number of pictures from the arson devast or arson the wildfire devastation I think you were okay with that <laughs> yeah uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and I and on Hagman report Stan we showed a before and after picture of a neighborhood in Napa Valley which had maybe 500 homes in this one area a before and after picture where before it looked like a beautiful suburb and after everything was gone and charred the death tolls continue to rise uh people are missing in 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 massive numbers and this looks like a 15 plus dead 200 missing um and, and they say expect the death toll to rise and they're also saying that this is one of the worst wildfires in California history. 
And the suspicious nature of when a few of these fires started simultaneously, you know, all around 9 o'clock on uh, Sunday evening, Saturday or Sunday evening, um, has been leaving many to ask, is uh, arson involved? So John and I today did a little research trying to get a timeline of events of these fires, when they were started and, and where, uh, but it led us to something else, that lots of people in California have been recently arrested, are still facing charges out on bail, or getting sentenced for doing these same things, trying to start fires, lighting incendiary devices uh, in vegetation, attempting to start fires. This is a, a common practice in California, apparently, has become common, where people are intentionally trying to start these wildfires. And that's a kind of a side note, but I was just amazed doing the research. How many cases yeah. were in front of courts in different statuses in California just from this year? Some some for burn lines, but that's a different issue. Go on. It would be, be interesting to know how many of them are undocumented immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing I couldn't find is a lot of the suspect yeah. information. Uh, you know, yeah. the, what was the uh, religious affiliation or the name even in some cases. Um but yeah, you know, we learned the first few pages of you, you search California fire arson in 2017, and the first few pages are all basically court newspaper records of people being arrested or being sought after, uh, or being arraigned, being out on bail, being charged, sentenced. I mean, the whole gamut of the the criminal process. Um, and it just me and John, and John especially commented that, you know, wow, there's a lot of people trying to start fires this year. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. On. Well, I just say so. We have to wonder uh, and keep our eye on the possibility that arson is involved in, in some of these fires that we see in California today. You know, you were talking about those pictures you had early in the show. You know, the neighborhood before and after. Mm-hmm. I saw that too. Um, interesting point that some fellow down the street brought up was that um, if you look at it, the houses are burned totally to the ground. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the fridges and and other appliances and stuff are all. There's just nothing above, you know, like six inches. It's just rubble. Yet there are a number of trees lining the streets and stuff that didn't burn at all, which I suppose could be due to a hot Santa Ana-type wind blowing in a certain direction. But it, it still seems a bit unusual that the fire just decimated and flattened all those houses in that neighborhood and left trees standing. If you look at that picture, can you see what I'm talking about up close to some of the dark shadows there on the street? I'm, I'm looking for... Uh the article I posted on Hagman Report that has these pictures. Uh, just give me a second. I will pull that up. So, I mean, what, some trees did burn, but in that neighborhood, it seemed to be a peculiar burn pattern. Okay, here I got it. And you said, uh, let me bring the photo up here so I can navigate along with what you're saying. This article, folks, if you want to find it, go on HagmanReport.com. Before and after photos show devastation of fires raging through California wine country. It shows a huge uh, populated rural area. And you said which which trees? The uh... along the street side, I think there. Uh, I haven't got that picture in front of me, but I am trying to get it up here now. Where did you say that was on your site? It is. Is it, it on the YouTube site or is it on your? No, it's on Hagman Report. I can send you the link to this stand if you want. Right it's now. HagmanReport.com, but but the totality though, you, same same thing, I guess. Okay. But all right. Well, yeah. All right. It's coming your way now, up. Stan. All right. All right. Yeah, uh, Eric the Tech just said if you're on our site, you can just search a fire, F I R E. But, but nonetheless, um, yeah, interesting anyway, pattern. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah it, it is. I mean, it's just uh, it was the heat from that must have been 
very intense melting metal and stuff like that. Uh, it's like a force-fit um, uh, oven, you know, in a, a metal foundry, you know. You blow that hot air in there, and it raises the temperature. But it was such a huge volume of fire with the, the hot, dry wind that it was really like a bellows blowing the heat through that neighborhood. Poor people, they just lost everything. I mean, there's nothing to go collect there. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's... Um... And also, I was listening to Michael Savage and again John uh, Robertson, who has lived in California most of his life, talked about the places in Napa Valley where those fires were ongoing, and they basically described it as the breadbasket of the wine country, where not only you know the the grapes are grown, but also many wineries have long-standing historic traditions there, and the how this was going to completely change the industry because these wineries are basically in the bowl, the bowl they call it in that Napa Valley and how the fires are just going to devour them and it's going to be how many how many years is it going to take to regrow the vines even if they've got cuttings to start it with yeah, yeah. it's going to be uh, yeah they got a long road ahead we get all of our wine from New Jersey New Jersey grown <laughs> no we have great wineries here in, in PA and uh, western New York there's a, a famous winery uh, wineries right up yeah. you know 20 miles from us it's a uh, pretty interesting neat. climate yeah well hmm. Yeah, I still think it'll make some of the wines go up, but I'm sure that uh, that'll have to happen because of the scarcity. I, and stuff they had in the tanks would probably be gone now, too, as well. Hadn't even bottled it yet. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, along those lines, let me just get to the, the show images page here. Image 44, uh, talking about, you know, uh, produce and things. Uh uh, bees, of course, we've been having a threat to the bee population for several years, and now then, they're finding out that worldwide, not just the United States, but uh, honey from the bees, 75% of the hives they've tested over the entire planet, are containing pesticides in the honey. Um, it's no wonder the bees were dying, and now that, of course, they're passing, passing it on to us. There's an article there you can read about it, uh, you know, the tests they did, where they did them. Um, but uh, nature is gone askew, gone askew. Poor little guys, poor us. Over Did, slide. Sorry, go on. You were just talking about forty-four, right? Yeah. This is, uh, I think, was it Albert Einstein? Stan, you probably know this better than I do. Who talked about the population of the bees, and when the bee population, we see a big decrease in it. That uh, it could, it, it will affect the production of food. Uh, through their pollinization process and is a big red flag indicator to humanity that things are going very wrong with our ecosystem. Is that correct? Is that about right? I don't, I don't know whether he said that, but I had heard that before. And, uh, you know, you might laugh at this, but uh, we tried to grow a number of crops here in Holly's raised gardens in the house. And uh, when the bees went scarce here, uh, I was out there in our corn, the ones we planted corn in, uh, with a little um, Q-tip, I was taking pollen and I was pollinating every little <laughs> corn stalk there by hand, uh, playing the bee with it. And she's laughing at me, but uh, yeah, yeah, she said I loved it. I was fertilizing the corn plants anyway, doing the, the bees' job. And I guess if it comes to it, we'll have to do something like that as a race, if the bee population just continues to drop like it has been. And uh, it can be done. It can be done, but it's, it's a big job. The quote from Einstein, if the bee disappeared off the face of the earth, man would only have four years left to live. Dang. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, uh, maybe we could get some of these um, questionable migrants and give them some Q-tips and put them out in the fields and have them fertilize our corn and other crops for us. Do something productive. Yeah, uh, that's one way to do it. Or we can, you know, continue to uh, have the, um, the, the was it the apiarist that handles the bees. Get a lot more of those going. Get you know these huge bee colonies going to repopulate the bee population. Um, yeah, if you can find out what's killing them. I mean, is it the yeah. pesticides? You yeah. know, is it uh, crossbreeding with uh, other types of bees from South America? I mean, what's doing it? Um, we know that the killer bees that migrated up here have been crossbreeding with the honeybees in North America, and the the hybrids of that are not as uh, lethal as the. Uh, African, or sorry, the South American uh, killer bees, but well, they came up from South America, though, didn't they? They were African. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the killer bees, yeah. Yeah. They came up from Central and South uh, America. And I I remember they were making huge impacts down in Florida about 10 years ago, where they were becoming almost a pandemic down there, but it's kind of, from what I've seen, it's died off a little bit, or at least the coverage of that has died off. Yeah, we, we saw a lot of bees here on our plants this year. I mean, Holly plants a lot of very colorful flowers all over the gardens, which attracts the bees. And we had, um, gosh, we had bees all over the front uh, garden by the, the pond and out in the, uh, the the vegetable gardens and stuff like that. I mean, we had record crops of a lot of that stuff. So, but we saw the bees, you know, fertilizing them, so that we're here. And it might just be that our place is more attractive visually than others, but. Uh, we did have a good crop of bees this year. Okay. Well, um, let's uh, let's move forward here, Stan. you got a lot of stuff on Israel up on your show images page. All right. Let me go back up to that. Um, yeah, uh, bits here and there. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, 53, 50, and 49. Um, first of all, the Israeli military knowing that they're so tiny population-wise and land area-wise, have almost since the inception in 1948 been preparing uh, to fight larger enemies, you know, more advanced technology and larger armies all around them. They are surrounded by about 35 Arab nations that want them gone. Now, I, one of the articles I, I caught in the defense news was the Israeli uh, military have been working on designing uh, it's a six-inch shell. They call it 155 millimeter, but it, it's a big bullet that comes out of a cannon. And they have been retrofitting it with a little fuse at the back that can actually guide that bullet, you know, while it's in flight. And that little uh, fuse box that they put on the back of heavy artillery like that can be migrated to all kinds of other uh, heavy weapons, you know, artillery weapons like that. So that now then that. You know, instead of being like in battleship where you'd shoot a, you know, a shell and you'd say, where did it land? The spotter say, well, it's off by about this far. Uh, correct your thing by two degrees left and one degree up. And okay, fine. Now, with their controls, they can say, okay, where's it going? Okay, steer that bullet. There's where we're going to go and drop it right on your target. Much more accurate uh, artillery. And it just is another sign that the Israelis... Uh, R&D and their manufacturing processes uh, for defending themselves are quite advanced. Um, as of 2015, officially, I think the world um, authorities on this, on the nuclear weapons in Israel, 
said that the Israelis have at least 300 nuclear bombs. May not all be assembled, may be in readily uh, assembled parts and places, but the the uh, materials are there, already made to put into bombs. So if people attack, if Arab nations attack Israel, which I think they will, they will get uh, you know a nuclear front. Uh, even though the Israelis say they won't be the first one to use a nuke, um, when it comes you know push comes to shove and they're being overrun, I'm sure that they'll wipe out some of the enemy army on the ground with nuclear weapons. They certainly have enough plutonium there now to make 300 weapons. And you can't blame them. I mean, everybody in the world seems to hate them. And uh, they're doing their best to defend themselves. Now, in slide 50, to the right of that, um, I was impressed by the Israeli Air Force using printing technology. You know how you can you can reproduce things in 3D now then with these special kind of printers that will take a model of, say, a gun and you know, they will electronically, digitally build up layers of this plastic that will make a gun to shoot, that could shoot a bullet. Uh, or, yeah, or a bump stock, says Holly. Uh, but what we see here in the picture is the Israeli Air Force has developed the technology now then to rapidly reproduce, like in Star Trek, you know, you put it into a, you know, a food replicator. Well, this would be an equipment re replicator where they have the small parts for aircraft that they need that wear out. If they're in a war situation where they can't get their normal supply from overseas or whoever does it for them, they can just make it, you know, in a few hours versus a few weeks, which it would take to turn around from the normal manufacturing process. They just put it on a printer and dust off the edges of it and plug it into place. And, uh, you know, Bob's your uncle, you've got a working plane. Um, and then and, no, and I'm, no extra yeah. malfunctions happen during these type of uh, 3D printing operations for for. Uh, supplies and weapons, you don't have, you know, more misfires for, uh, let's say, a gun that was uh, made from 3D printing. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the issue? No, it's not the issue. Uh, and I use the gun as a, a, a common example, which we've heard of before. But what they're making is out of a different kind of material, and it serves a different function for the most part, rather than being part of a gun cannon or anything like that. It's part of camshafts and, and other small uh, things that break in an aircraft due to normal usage. Um, I've seen, like, uh, I use a, a company over in Europe. When I want to have something made in 3D, printed in 3D, they've now gone to making uh, gold, and uh, uh, I think they've got steel now. They, they, they plate these things, they build them up, so that I've got components that are just like you get out of a machine shop, and it just comes off of a printer, and, uh, you know, you can hold it. Um, so, yeah, this is a very good technology. They're have, they've been investigating using that kind of technology for Mars and for the Moon to send up uh, big 3D printing arms, you know, with layer and layer like this bricks and build, uh, you know, habitable human houses up on the Moon or on Mars out of local components, maybe a bit of water and some other stuff, just some adhesives. And no one would have to be there. It would be done by remote, like with our, our Voyager and other things that you know, they go out and explore places. These things would land on these planets or the moon and would be directed by us here on Earth to build habitats for us. Um, and that's how much they've already started developing the technology. We are really just kind of a step away from even growing, um, well, like uh, steak protein in these things in layers, making artificial steaks by using 3D printing. I don't know that I'd find that to be the tastiest thing in life, but they are doing that. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and up above, 
you know, are you through with the 3D printing thing? Do you have a question? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just want to say one thing. Uh, it's my understanding, and, and forgive me for the shameless self-promotion, but th- these are these were printed by a 3D printer. This actually, um, this sent in by a listener. Um, th- th- this is a picture of uh, or a relief. I don't know what you call it, uh, Joe and I. I don't know if you can see that or not. Uh, anyway, I'm just, I'm, I'm just pulling it up now. Uh, and this is uh, King, uh, King or Dog, uh, with the iconic dog. Oh, there we go. That'll work. Uh, Eric is, is showing okay. that. That that's actually a 3D print. Oh, on your microphone there? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's now it's oh, coming yeah, up I see on it. the. Actually, uh, Eric is Eric is. Uh, uh, Putting it up on the video, but it's there's a large delay between the. Uh... Anyway, nonetheless, yeah, what a what a world of technological advances exactly. allowing us to, you know, just bring the the, uh, the ingredients that are are used to make a regular gun. You put them in the right spots, and those ingredients filter out to print a 3D gun. Thanks, sir. That functions right. properly, and now this application is being expanded out to a number of different things. That make it a lot easier for military personnel not to have to lug all the stuff onto the battlefield. They can just create it while they're there, and it's no end in sight as to the capabilities and potential use for that 3D printer in war and in uh, you know regular life. Mm. Well, they can grow prosthetic uh, ears, and, I mean real ears actually, from the genetic material of a particular patient, um, and they can grow the ear on say a mouse back and then transplant it over onto the person, and then he's body will accept it won't reject it and and these are just you know kind of early stage uses of 3d printing in the long run i think what we will see um certainly when the good lord is here on the planet but we will see tissue regeneration bone muscle nerve when you've lost a limb that it will grow because to grow back in and replace what you lost Mm -hmm. because the, the pattern for it the electrical pattern for our limbs and our body is still there even though the limb is gone i mean that that ghost limb syndrome is a real thing. It's a, a you know, there's a field out there that the hand would grow into. So we're going to see some miraculous things sooner or later here that are like 3D printing, but using the body as the, the printer. It may take longer, but it will be, you know, a blessing to those that get the, the rebuilt things. Amen to that. Yeah. Wow. It's it's amazing. We covered some a number of topics. I just I'm amazed every time you come on, and we after the show we talk, and and uh, uh, there's rarely a time when we are not amazed by the the range of topics that you cover. Go ahead, Stan. Uh, well, they're just things that that catch our interest, you know, during the day and during the week. And um, the um, one of the sad things in, in slide 51 is the Pentagon report on the state of our military. Um, they, you know, they're saying that we are showing signs of a total eroding of our military. If you read that article, you don't have to go through details of it here now, but uh, the article does tell all the things they've noticed and, uh, you know, recorded in a, in a special study about the weakness of our you know, ground troops, our, our military, in addition to our Navy and stuff. Uh, they're just now taking one of those ships that uh, was hit by another ship over in the uh, western Pacific there. Uh, they're going to uh, heavy lift it, they say, into Japan. 
for repairs there, which will take some time. And we've got two more of that class of ship that they're going to, um, you know, uh, dump, uh, sink, uh, de, um, decommission by 2020. So they're only going to be good for another two years. And you know, we need a budget for that. You don't see the budget for that. Um, anyway, the article does tell about these various things that are serious issues that the administration now and even the next one would be facing and at a time when the war uh, world is gearing up for war with us. It, it's a very unhealthy position to be in. The, the, the last eight years of the Obama administration just just t- totally crippled us. Uh, I, I think the, that uh, he'll go down as the greatest traitor in American history. Okay, interesting. Yeah, now, uh, let's see here. Um, another interesting thing in the Middle East is... We, we see something happening here. It's a master chess game. And we know that that uh, the Saudis have really been enemies of Israel forever, right? Um, and the other 34 nations in the consortium with Saudi Arabia in the area really don't like Israel either. They want it to disappear. It's a thorn in their side. And yet today, or the last week, we see King Solomon, Prince Solomon's father, the king, goes over to Russia to meet with um, you know Putin and, and the, the staff there it's kind of a kind of a formal howdy and shake and uh, get to know you type thing now that's the Russians right now the United States and Russia are at odds and, and certainly at odds over the Syrian situation and then you you come back to Saudi Arabia at home at Riyadh where King Salman's son Prince Mohammed bin Salman is making overtures to Israel for peace and all that kind of stuff and uh, let's go together and get rid of Iran you know we don't like them but it's it's contrary to what they have been for a thousand years or so in, in the Saudi arena for a couple thousand years um, in that they are agreeing to be friends with Israel and yet preparing for an attack on Iran and yet at the same time Saudi Arabia is being friends with Russia you know, which can supply the arms and technology they need to go in and, and to attack Israel. Uh, it, there's something rotten in Denmark, except it's rotten in Saudi Arabia at the moment, the Middle East. Um, I just think we're going to see uh, some sad times over there with, uh, like a, a a cheating or a lying to Israel in a in a about face there instead of going into Iran and Syria that the the uh, Saudi forces and their consortium will go into Israel. It's getting closer and closer, and every time I see, you know, this kind of talk between, uh, you know, King Solomon and his son, uh, at, at different odds of the spectrum, the political spectrum over there, it tells you that they're at their game again. They're they're playing this game of lie, cheat, and steal to get your way. We've got to keep an eye on that Middle East situation. It's, it's really getting serious. Okay, indeed. Indeed, yeah, and, and you know your your talk of a uh, Islamic Antichrist. I, I'm really, boy, that that's shaping up to be more and more. Um, I, I'm just I, I'm just a, really interested in that, and and I think that Islamic Antichrist, um, the case for that, it's interesting, especially when you dilute Islam. Um, in, in the context of the Middle East, when you dilute Islam and you dilute all of the other religions or contaminate them and then, uh, you know, this one world religion, but having it come from the lineage of, of 
of a Muslim uh, or the is- Islamic uh, root, if you will. Uh, very good work on that. Well, just following the evidence, um, and certainly the Antichrist spoken of in the Bible uh, will behead, you know, the Christians and Jews uh, during the tribulation period, and that won't take to mark and, and worshiping. Now that is a, an offshoot of the Islamic tradition of beheading the infidels or people who break, the, you know, the law, uh, Muhammad. Um, but that that kind of thinking permeates not only the Middle East but up into Turkey, uh, beginning into Europe. And I think that you will see that, as it says in, in the Revelation of John, that the Antichrist, the, you know, the first beast, will uh, be wounded, will be taken out of power uh, very shortly after he makes his move against Israel. But the second beast, the false prophet they call him, he will institute this beheading and he will do a lot of things that the uh, that are in, in you know in agreement with Islam and the punishment of people who don't follow Islam. So. Turkey is Islamic, and uh, Erdogan, who is the, the leader of Turkey, the you know, president, and trying to be the absolute dictator if he can, um, really reveres their, their their ancient hero of Solomon the Great, Solomon the Great. Um, again, the name Solomon, Solomon, is permeated in both areas, in Turkey and in Saudi Arabia. And um, Revelation 13 and 14 are talking about the Here's wisdom. It's uh, the number of the beast, the number of a man. The number is six six six. That goes all the way back to King Solomon in the Old Testament, and so I'm sure that the name Solomon has something to do with the, the first and possibly the second beast uh, of the Revelation of John. Again, I'm just uh, like, like a detective and looking at current events and these clues that leap out when you read the the good book. So I might be wrong, but. Uh, that's what I see here at the moment. That's why my job is to keep an eye on the Middle East guys, I guess. And there's a European Antichrist they're looking for it. There's another crowd looking for that. So between us, we're bound to come up with the right answer somewhere. <laughs> well, Stan, you've been following the, the princes of Saudi Arabia for a long time. Even for, I'd say, the last two years you've been on this show, probably longer. And you got it right um, with, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of his name now. You just said it a few minutes ago. Oh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman? Yeah. Yeah, and, and his, you know, rise to power, and now we're seeing him actually, you know, being ready to step in and take that power. And well, he's... Yeah, yeah and you call, I just want to say you called it. Uh, you had your eye on him as the primary guy uh, for this role years ago, and now he's stepping into that role. And now there are questions that you have about, you know, going forward, how, to, how if at all, does this play into prophecy, and what will, we, what will become of it? And I just wanted to congratulate you on your great work uh, well, know, putting that together well, beforehand. Well, so far it's important, I guess. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I know the news uh, in the Middle East, uh, uh, the Arabic newspapers are saying that young Prince Ben Salman, they're calling him MBS now. Then, just like I said to you a couple of years ago, they just use his initials MBS, which is very close to what Nostradamus called the Antichrist, the, the Mabus, M A B U S. Anyway, uh, they're calling him the the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia now because he's back uh, running the country while his dad is over making a kind of token visit to Russia as the head of the country but the, the real you know grunt work is being done by his son back in, in Saudi Arabia while his dad is over there you know hobnobbing with the Russians 
So they're saying that the change of power, the transfer of power, is no longer subtle. It's pretty obvious who's, who's in charge there. Um, there are a number of uh, European and American businessmen that are putting investments into um, Mohammed bin Salman, you know, MBS is a West Coast development of the Red Sea development for a tourist mecca. And uh, I think, uh, what's his name, Virgin, Virgin Airlines, um, oh, whatever the guy that owns that is, he's putting like, Branson, he's putting like 50 million into that project now. So the, the young prince is attracting a lot of serious investment into his uh, investment fund, he called it. And that's why he's uh, selling off 5% of Aramco, the Arab American oil company, to raise $2 trillion to put into that fund to develop a number of things, including a global uh, economic system which uses um, blockchains. Um, it's a type of, of currency that's electronic, but say yeah, he's, right now he's aiming it for companies so that if you sell a car to uh, another company, then that transaction has your company name, how much you know the car was worth, it's you know how much you were paid for it, uh, what clobber it had on, you know what uh, fancy tricks it had on it, and that digital record is kept on a global system that now tells that that car was sold to this other company over here in Europe, and uh, later on that uh, car is then sold to Joe Bloggs over here. It's still on the world database in this blockchain. Uh, showing where it was originally made, all the original details of it, how it transferred to this other company and then to that individual. And this is just a, a simple example of what he's wanting to set up, of what MBS wants to set up in, in the, the world banking system. And he's getting a lot of support for it um, because that means then that guns and all kinds of stuff that are sold will have an ownership record tracking it back to people that have to have a digital ID in the world system or they can't buy or sell. And so he's doing things that sound an awful lot like what either the false prophet or the antichrist are going to do and it's just that simple really I mean it's just that I don't want to say well it is that simple he, he's a bright fellow I, I, I gotta tell you this uh, MBS guy he's a bright fellow he's uh, very learned in banking uh, in uh, the west coast on the Red Sea uh, coast side of Saudi Arabia there's a a banking concern there. There is a Saudi bank that does world banking, um, fund transfers, and all kinds of stuff. I'm just trying to remember the name of it. There, it's near, it's west of uh, Mecca, I think. Anyway, uh, all all these organizations are in place and getting strength from the the money he's pulling in, and they're divesting themselves from dependence on the oil economy that Saudi Arabia's been on since, you know, uh, the early 50s. Um, which is a wise move because the oil that they've got, you know, the oil pressure in the wells is dropping and the amount of oil they can pump is dropping. And the, the world is going to switch over to a new, cleaner type of fuel eventually. So he's way ahead of, you know, the old guard there in Saudi Arabia. And uh, he has recently removed about 30 to 35 of the old guard in the leadership of the country and uh, retired them. <laughs> so... Uh, it's a clean sweep. He's got the support of the young people there. He's just given women in Saudi Arabia the right to have driver's licenses, which makes him a hero for a lot of people and an enemy for a few others. But um, he's he's changing the times and the laws there in their country. Just amazing. He's, he's fulfilling a lot of the little boxes that the Antichrist might do. But, again, I could be wrong.
Well, something definitely, as you've been saying for a long time, to keep our eye on, and you've been right so far about this man's uh, rise to power um, and influence. So we will continue to, to keep our eye on that stand, and we will continue also to rely on you to bring us updates and reports uh, as to the changes you're seeing um, as we move forward from here with Saudi Arabia. Uh, One last thing on that. You know, I talked about uh, fighting Atlantis, and that was Saudi Arabia was a major part of Atlantis. Um, when I worked uh, for Dr. Teller's group down in Australia years ago, when we were developing uh, anti-gravity and a lot of other technologies in conjunction with beings that weren't from around here. You know, they were either fallen ones or, or you know, I guess they just call them fallen ones. And they had a base in Riyadh, about 120 miles out of town, uh, down the Jabal Tuwaik mountain range, just kind of, here's here's Riyadh, and you go down the Jabal Tuwaik, and about 120 miles down here was where they had this base with technology uh, that they were developing. And it's odd that this would happen because Atlantis was, the legend of it was that fallen ones mated with our women in that area and produced hybrids, and that's what caused God to make the flood and destroy all the hybrid animals and beings that these fallen ones had created. And now they're back there in the same place again uh, with the technology, and, and they have a base there that I know they've got, which could very well be supporting young MBS in his march to, uh, you know, to try to take over Israel, to conquer Israel and the area, and to be a superpower in the area. So it, it's all coming back to, you know, what caused the flood in that area. Yeah, and I love your... Uh when you go back and, and uh, from finding the different asteroid impacts in Google Earth um, to your searches for, from the Garden of Eden to, uh, you know, looking at where Noah's Ark could be and all these other ones. I, I This is when we talk about Indiana Jones. Th- these are Indiana Jones-type investigations, only on just a different, uh, a, a, in a different way. You know, he's not out in the field looking for the Holy Grail. He is using the technology of today looking for ways to explain uh you know what has happened from you know um the expansion of the earth to all the different things in in between um with the natural disasters the dinosaurs and everything else and i love uh when you find something stand from the garden of eden to atlantis uh again to um so much of what you've done your book the cosmic conspiracy one of the later editions i really love that and how you put together the earthquake figures there but uh, you've done a great job of, of uh, putting these together, and uh, not only for our audience, but on the presentations you do when you speak. And it's always fascinating to see, you know, to be able to cooperate and look for the mysteries of the Bible. And I, I can't imagine the feeling of finding something, um, you know, written in the Bible thousands of years ago that you're able to confirm is actually what you thought it was. You know, I'm working on a, another project kind of in the back burner, but with a another biblical scholar here in Colorado. In fact, we're having a meeting here shortly in a few days about the, the path of the Exodus. Uh, we have made some major inroads in finding, uh, proving what the, the Genesis account said about the Exodus, where it occurred, how long it took to get from point A to point B, and the actual mountain of, uh, uh, well, of Sinai, God's mountain. It's not where they think it in the Sinai Peninsula. It's definitely over in southern Jordan. Um, and all these things that we're finding, they're just, they're absolutely solid proof that there were a, a large group of people there with livestock, and they passed through that area just like the Exodus account said. And uh, 
as I say, some of the things that we're fighting are rather extraordinary as far as like what caused when Israel was just escaping Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, what caused that easterly wind all night and, and made the dry land appear. And uh, it was a typhoon type thing, or like a hurricane, except it was stationary, not, not moving. It was created to be right over the top of them. And how it, the high speed winds around the outside, it would force the, uh, the Egyptians to stay on their side outside of this spinning, you know, vortex. And Israel was in the middle with warm, moist air coming straight down on top of them. They couldn't get their weapons across either to get to the Egyptians. Neither one of them could fight with each other because of this high-speed wall of air circulating around like that. And the pressure down like that was pushing all the water away to, you know, make given dry land uh, by morning to march on over to the other side. And uh, you'll see that that area is uh, near um, the uh, Suez Canal at the start of it there. And it's kind of circular, very shallow, and you can see how it wouldn't take much pressure at all to just blow the water out of the way. It's not like a 200-foot drop or anything. It's like, you know, 15, 20 feet in some places. Push it out of the way and let them get across and then flash back as soon as this thing moved across to the, the Sinai side of it. It would have just wiped them out. I don't know that we're going to find any of the chariots and things like that they've been talking about that they'd like to see, but um, I'm pretty sure we found the area. Very interesting. And, and a natural, um, um, I don't want to say excuse, but a natural reason. It's interesting how God uses weather and weather events for, for things like that. that that's, uh, they call that uh, area the Sea of Reeds as well. And in the Greek, because uh, uh, Plato, you know, his grandfather, I think it was their Solon, went over to talk with the priests of Egypt at Saiz and got a lot of information on the ancient history of the area. But the Greeks named a particular reed, it's a tall reed, and it's hollow inside and tubular. The the class of it is called the typhonus, like typhoon, for that area. It's grown in that area where we were talking about that they probably crossed. So all these little clues do add up. Man, that's amazing. Stan, you took you did this again. Took us uh, to the end of the program. It covered a lot of ground in this uh, in this uh, segment. Well, next week, next week, Lord willing, we'll do it again. Indeed, yes, we will. Thank you so much, Stan, and thank Holly for us for allowing you to spend uh, this time with us. And terrific. Holly says you're welcome. She's waving. <laughs> well, we're waving <laughs> back, and you uh, you uh, take care, Stan, and we will talk with you next Tuesday. All right. Alrighty. God night, bless. Night, guys. Good night. God bless you. Good night. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the program. And, and please listen, uh, tune in to, to the Doug Hagman radio show, Doug Hagman investigative hour, nine to 10 Eastern time. That's on the global star and BTR. And just go to HagmanReport.com and then two to three for John and Joe show. And of course, our flagship show, seven to 10 PM Eastern time, bringing you all the news, uh, from a Christian conservative perspective. May God bless each and every one of you. Till tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great night.